Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 141. We're recording on Thursday, January 21st, 2016. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Jeff O'Neill, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. Rebecca is, is settling in, entrenching. Hattons are being battened, as my dad used to say. I don't know why he liked <laughs> the, the malapropism. Uh, and I, I wish we were recording because I got this full taxonomy of the <laughs> of pajamas and what you have to wear when and how do well, you, you okay, organize so things. And I, it, not, it was a really, you know, really fairly detailed and might I say persnickety uh, sort <laughs> look, of uh, situation. If I'm going to be persnickety about anything, it's going to be about my snowstorm pajama preparation. And... I'm a little surprised that it was surprising to you that there is like a hierarchy of pajamas in my life. So I've been saving my favorite pajamas. To I've wear. always thought of you as sort of an egalitarian pajama user. You know, there's no <laughs> real, there's no best, there's no, there's no royalty. Uh. There's like the number one, and then there are a bunch of one A's. Okay, so I see. Yeah. I have the favorite pajamas. I've been saving them. We're supposed to get like 18 First inches. First among of snow. equals with your pajamas is what you're yes. saying. Okay. We're supposed to get 18 inches of snow in Richmond this weekend. If that really happens, like the whole city will be shut down for days. Mm -hmm. I have friends whose jobs have already called off work tomorrow and nary a flurry has fallen. So... (laughs) Like, I'm I'm ready. The bourbon is stocked. All the chili fixins are in the kitchen, and it was time to start thinking about wardrobe. So I've been saving my favorite pajamas for this weekend. I'm gonna wear other pajamas until it snows. And you were ribbing me about, you know, well, you can wash the pajamas. I know it's like you'll be snowed in. Whatever will you do? So you'll but, go downstairs and press a button and pour some j- junk in the but box. But you and don't want to harsh the snow mellow. Like mm. it's. Your snow, me- be- your snow mellow can't can't withstand going downstairs to press a lot. You're it's like you're like a thoroughbred of snow preparation. <laughs> if anything goes wrong, <laughs> everything goes off. You know, you're you're throwing your jockey and breaking a leg. I'm just saying down. that if the snow starts falling tomorrow afternoon and you call me and I sound like I've had a mimosa, it's probably because I yeah. have. We got two inches of snow here in Portland a couple weeks ago, and this the school shut down for two days. It was unbelievable. <laughs> That's about what it's like here. The whole city has seven snowplows. Yeah, I don't think there's. One, I don't think there's one here. I mean, yeah, I understand not. why because the roads did get super bad because there was no, like, absolutely no, no tree, no sanding. Yeah, no and they don't anything. salt. Yeah. And yeah, anyway. it's that'll. That's what will happen here. As soon as it starts snowing, the chief of police is going to go on the news and say, "Please don't leave your houses because all of the available police cars have already been dispatched to accidents." Yeah. So we're going to be like, we're going to hunker, and if I'm hunkering, I'm going to wear. My favorite pajamas. And mm-hmm. you can make fun of me all you want, but they are excellent 
and I am not sorry. Yeah. Okay, do, uh, tell me about our first sponsor. We, we can do, get into the yeah. News so if you're week. hunkering and you need something to read, our first sponsor this week is Feverborn by Karen Marie Moaning. This is the new book in her Fever series. She is a number one New York Times bestselling author, and the Fever series is quite epic. Uh, in this one, it may be winter, but things are heating up. Nice. Man, I should have used that as I my know, segue. You uh, so in Feverborn, Mac, Barons, Riordan, and Jada are back, and the stakes have never been higher or the chemistry hotter. Uh, Feverborn hurdles us into a realm of labyrinthing, labyrinthine intrigue, which is a really hard phrase to say, <laughs> and consummate seduction. Uh, Feverborn is a riveting tale of ancient evil, lust, betrayal, forgiveness, and the redemptive power of love. So this is set in Dublin, which was once a normal city that possessed a touch of ancient magic, but now Dublin is treacherously magical and only has a touch of normal. And on those war-torn streets, Mac comes face to face with her most savage enemy yet herself. Uh, again, this is Feverborn. It's by number one New York Times, the bestselling author, Karen Marie Moaning. No one does it better, according to Sylvia Day, who is also a number one mm -hmm. New York Times bestselling author. And Feverborn is available now. So you can check it out wherever books are sold or go to feverbornbook.com. That's F-E-V-E-R-B-O-R-N book.com to learn more. We'll also have a link to it in the show notes. So thanks to Karen Marie Moaning and Feverborn for sponsoring this week. That does sound like a good snow weekend it does read. it does um we've got an early contender for hero of the year ah, in this so hero of the she week undoubtedly hero of the week no, no hero of the week hands down don't even think about it um her name is marley diaz and she is an 11 year old uh which i guess that means she is what a fifth grader fifth grader fifth grader uh in germantown pennsylvania which i guess is a suburb of Philadelphia or in the yep. greater Philadelphia era, area. And what she is doing, she, she's running a book drive um, called A Thousand Black Girl Books. And basically one day she came to, to home to her mom and said, you know, I'm sick. This is the direct quote, and we'll put a link in the show notes if you want to learn more about this. I, I told her I was sick of reading about white boys and dogs, Diaz said, <laughs> specifically pointing to where the red fern grows in the Shiloh series. And her mom said, and good job, mom, here mm -hmm. of the week 1A. So what are you going to do about it? Um, and Marley decided to do a book, a book drive, a specific focused book drive where black girls are the main characters in the book and not minor background characters. Um, so far, she's collected about 400 books, halfway to her goal of 1,000. She wants to try to get there by February 1st. Um, and, you know, we want to try to support her here as best we can. Put a link in the show notes if you want to help. Um, it's part of a direct social action effort. Uh, and she's got the Grassroots Community Foundation Super Camp for Young Girls is helping her out doing this. This is not her first foray into social change. Um, she she received a Disney Friends for Change grant, launched a book club. She served food to orphans in Ghana. Marley is uh, – I, I don't know if we need to check her for a cape or like for <laughs> being from the – you know, a son of, of – crypt, uh, a daughter of I Krypton. I bet she's got my jetpack. Yeah, she has a jetpack. Um, an amazing story, amazing young woman. Um and, you know, the kind of thing that that uh, we like to see happen, you know, not just I wish she didn't have to do it. Um, I wish she, you know, could just find stuff in her library or in her bookstore, or wherever she was going for books before that stated her need. Um, but uh, what an amazing job. Yeah, this is just awesome. A true, you know, 
grassroots effort, a power of the internet story also. Um, you can click on the link to the Philly Voice story that yes. we'll put in the show notes if you wish to donate. Also, one of our colleagues, Kelly Jensen, uh, is organizing a campaign where if you want to donate money, Kelly's going to take the dollars and buy a bunch of books that fit Marley's requirement that they be about young black girls, not as background or minor characters, but as the main character. And she'll buy a bunch of those books. She'll put all the donors' names on them and send them off uh, to Marley as well. So there are a couple different ways that you can get involved. We are also looking for book recommendations yes. that fit this requirement. There are not enough of them, as Marley herself has found out. Um, and so we are looking. If you know of great books that fit this audience, especially, I'd say, middle grade um, girls that have black girls as the main characters, please shoot us an email or hit us up on Twitter and let us know so that we can contribute those to the list. But all of our claps this week go to Marley Diaz. So, so awesome. Marley, when you turn 18 mm -hmm. and you can legally write for us, yep. shoot us an email and become a book rioter. Um, if you want to send book do donations directly, they can go to 59 Main Street, West Orange, New Jersey, zip 07052, Office 322. Nice. Um, and I'll put a link in the show notes there if you want to find out about that. I'm going to send something. Be, I'm not sure what. I gotta, it's going to be hard to top Marley Diaz for hero of the year. <sighs> yeah, like, only, see, maybe only Marley Diaz if she has something else cooking the rest of the year. I, you yeah, know, right. I wouldn't want to. That's that's not a racehorse I'd want to be behind mm -hmm. um, for hero of the year so far. 2016 is off to an interesting start. We have early contenders for our turkey of the year and our hero uh, maybe, of the year. You know, so. Maybe it was pent up from the end of 2015 <laughs> and we, we had some excess capacity. I don't know. It does seem At that least way. we're in balance. I'm pleased that we're not just overloaded with turkeys. Um, you know, I don't know where this is. The next story is going to fall on the most interesting story of the year. I think it's Pottermore ha is one of the most mm. interesting book related things to have happened as an experiment, as a phenomenon. Um, Pottermore, for those of you who, who don't know, what is a website set up um, and wholly owned, I believe, by J.K. Rowling herself. I'm actually not sure the venture. Um, it's set up but its its sole purpose is to promote and sell Harry Potter stuff. Um, principally, it, you know, famously, you could only get the audiobooks mm -hmm. through Pottermore for a while. Um, you could only get some. There were some special editions you could only get through Pottermore, and there was games, and you could you know you could do the sorting. You could hat. do the sorting hat, and there she, for a while she was writing a bunch of like extra content, which seemed to have tapered off. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this when I was getting ready for the story, like where we'd get another chapter about Rita Skeeter, you know, a little, you know, she was doing that for a while, but that seems to have tapered off. Um, and we learned, I guess it was at the end of the year last year, we talked about on the show that Pottermore was going to get rid of some of the game stuff. They were opening up um, audiobooks to be sold on Audible and Downpour and Barnes and Noble. They were getting new special enhanced edition. There were some iBooks only exclusive stuff. So they were sort of tearing down the walls of the castle. And I think, this that was in the story that was the effect and this what we're going to talk about now is the cause yep. yeah um now it all makes sense and now it all makes sense. so basically Pottermore has lost a bunch of money nine million bunches nine, of money nine million dollars um uh a multi-million pound losses um and it's shedding a quarter of its staff 25 percent of its staff is, is you know going how to big the staff is how much I, you know it didn't say it didn't say um at least four right because you have to live <laughs> um let's see Pottermore show its turnovers plummeted from 3.8 million in revenue to just 7 million wow. in 2015 um to having registered profit registered profit of 15 million dollars in 2014 Losses last year of six million pounds. Um, 
Oh, it has. It had forty full time employees. Good gravy, forty full time. I mean, I guess when you're doing fifteen million dollars a year in annual revenue, mm-hmm. you can support something like that. Sure. Um, and they like they were running games and community stuff. And I know, like, I had friends whose yeah. kids were involved in Pottermore, and so they've got like even people who have to manage like the kid community interaction business. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. It's interesting. You know, I would have thought. You know, with I guess you might expect a surge of of activity. Um, at, at the launch, there hasn't been like a Harry Potter thing to drive it, like a new title mm, or mm-hmm. um, there is the new Fantastic Beats mo- Beasts movie coming out, which might, you know, I don't know if they're going to extra content or anything around that. But some of it is, I think, maybe just sort of the the erosion of white hot interest in Harry Potter to yeah. just sort of the dull glowing embers that it's just going to be forever. I think there's a degree. couple there's a couple vectors of this in, to my mind. One is that piece that there hasn't been a new really in demand Harry Potter thing to drive interest in using Potter more. Like if J.K. Rowling wrote my long wished for Harry Potter book eight called Hermione and she only released it in Pottermore. Yes. People would go to Pottermore to buy Harry Potter book eight, if that were the only source. Uh, But there just hasn't been a new thing. And I think the bigger picture here is that readers as customers don't want to have to go to a bunch of separate proprietary spots to get content. And that's where it it plugs into the larger story that we've been talking about for as long as we've been doing this podcast of uh, people don't want to have to read just their, you know, the HarperCollins eBooks and the HarperCollins app and the Penguin Random House eBooks and the Penguin Random House app. They don't want to have to go to a million different places to get their books. They want to go to the place where they typically buy their books to be able to get their books. And so it makes sense that -hmm. the interest in Pottermore has fallen off, um, especially because there's nothing new to buy in Pottermore and that they're going to make those audiobooks available in Audible. The eBooks are coming or are already available, I think, in the iBook store, the special enhanced ones. It's I'm I'm a little bummed that like this happened to Pottermore because Harry Potter is so beloved and we, you know, are always interested in what J.K. Rowling is doing. But on the larger scale of it, I'm happy because I hope that this leads to publishers rethinking all of the time and effort that they have been putting into their proprietary arms as well. And we have a show, we have a story later in the show about Penguin Random House has redesigned their consumer facing site. Like, please give up on that and just mm. let us buy books where we want to buy them. Yeah. I mean, again, it's not shuttering. It's, it's not going yeah, right. away. It's it's just that but they've kind of found what their new yeah. baseline is. And it's not 40 employees and it's not going right. to be $15 million in revenue a year. Like, that a all fan, might change later. Yeah. Um, but maybe, you know, make it a fan site. Where right. You, make it a community thing. and But let people buy wherever they want. Because, um, I mean, no one knows better than us that content is hard. And you got to keep doing it. You got to have content going up all the time if it's just a content site. And that makes it a different thing. Doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean it's an unsustainable thing, but it seems even with the, I would say, p- premier book intellectual property in the world, yes. Harry Potter, yes. um, it's still tough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would be super interesting if there were Harry Potter book eight or, you know, a new, just even just any new novel set in the wizarding world, you know. That's a you know not not just a sort of sideline like Fantastic Beats or something, like even a standalone. I would love from sort of an observer's point of view for her to take the reins on the whole thing. I'm going to publish it. I'm going to distribute it. I'm going to you know I'm going to take I'm going to own the full stack all the way down um, to the deckled edges. 
because if anyone could do it, she could. And that is, I mean, that's one of those questions that's sort of been hanging out there, though it hasn't been as much now that ebooks are plateauing as far as we can tell. But what would happen if one of these AAA gold titanium plated authors just decided to go out on their own? You know, it's the kind of thing that's much more done in like the music industry, you know, like Bad Boy Records mm-hmm. or something like that. For some reason, it hasn't been the case in books that, you know, a major a major author would go out and try to own the whole stack for themselves. Now, I don't know if that's because writing takes so much juice that, you know, you just have to make the thing and you're basically outsourcing the rest to a publishing house. Um, but it seems like if you built a brand like Harry Potter or your Stephen King or James Patterson, you know, and you really wanted to try and you really wanted to own the whole thing, um, I want to see someone do it someday. And there's not that many candidates to do it, but I'd love to see someone try to do it myself. Yeah, I think some of it too is scale that you know, there are only a few authors in the world that have the size of readership and the number of sales Mm -hmm. that would equal like a Kanye West or a Taylor Swift or any of the dozens of radio hits that we hear. Like there are many bigger, I think many bigger musical artists than there are big authors. Um, And so it's harder, but she's certainly one of the few that is teed up to try Mm -hmm. something like that. You know, I think an interesting thing to do would be to add like a premium level to Pottermore where you pay and then you can buy the, if you're in the premium one, then you get early access to something or maybe Harry Potter book eight is coming and you can buy it on September 1st through Pottermore or you have to wait until December to buy it anywhere else. Well, that's the Um, kind of thing you'd have to do on your own because your publisher is not going to screw with Barnes and Noble and Amazon. Right. Because if they, if they're if you are affiliate if they're affiliated with any way, like Amazon will punish you mm-hmm. for like doing something like that if it's affiliated with the publisher. Now, if you're on your own and you can say you know go sawed off Amazon, then you know that's a different sort of thing. But for for an, a publisher to do it, but an individual author, it would, I think it would have to be an an individual author that wanted to try right. it. Or like if a whole publishing house wanted to really make a go at consumer facing, they would have to tell Amazon yes. to sod off before they did it, which is a thing that we've also been like wishing that maybe yep. Penguin Random House would try. Like they publish 50, like uh, more than 50% of the books that come out in a year come out of Penguin Random mm-hmm. House. And if they really wanted to make a go at getting their hooks into customers directly, they would just have to decide we're just going to distribute ourselves and through no one else. And so if you want to read, you know, the new Toni Morrison, if you want to read the new uh, whoever the like they they published a bajillion, the new new Emma Straub, like whoever, then you just have to go directly through Mm -hmm. Penguin Random House and they would have to rely on, I guess they would have to rely more on those authors, direct audiences paying attention um, to know that those authors have books coming out and that requires a level of relationship building within the marketing that I don't think that they've done a, a good enough job of yet. They're relying a lot on people browsing Amazon and realizing yeah. I think it's know, in, that you're, that you're author right, has because new... That kind of move, it's interesting, would need to come from a position of extreme weakness or extreme strength, right? You, you yes. either need to be like desperate or you would need to be so confident and, you know, kind of feeling like you have the reins that you do it. But Right now, what we've seen with publishing and their, you know, we've looked at their numbers, like we're kind of at a modest up equilibrium, you know, equilibrium to modestly up, which is a difficult place to try a radical idea. Um, yeah, and, and though it should, and though some would argue that that's exactly when you should do it, right? When, <laughs> you know, sort of get ahead of the curve a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. 
and and they've been more protecting the status quo through agency pricing, I, I think, than, yeah. than 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 challenging it. But you know, we've often said PRH. If anyone has the horsepower to do it, it would be PRH. Right, um, and clearly, where they all want to go is direct to consumer sales. And well, Pierre Chase said they want to do that. And their new site, we can, maybe we should just transfer, their new UK <laughs> site, you can't buy books on there. Yeah, it's all, it's so interesting. Everybody's talking about wanting these direct to consumer connections. And we've seen several efforts and lots of talk over mm-hmm. the last few years from publishers about branding the publisher to readers or branding the imprint yeah. to readers. And I think that's the whole wrong way to go about it with a few notable exceptions like Melville House, like the New York Review of Books, like Penguin Classics and like Harper Perennial, maybe right. um, that do really consistent things and that diehard readers and fans of those imprints know what to expect from them and will watch for them and, you know, are plugged into getting whatever that imprint does. Most of the time, what an imprint does is broad enough that you're not interested in all of it. But I think readers know what to expect from those few imprints um, and will shop probably directly from them. But otherwise, they don't really care about shopping from an imprint. Most imprints do stuff that's broad and different enough that a reader isn't going to want everything that that imprint does. So I think if publishers really want to break away from Amazon and Barnes and Noble and make a go at selling directly to consumers, and then, you know, by virtue of being able to sell directly to consumers, maybe convince those consumers to read within their own apps, they have to form relationships directly with the fans of their specific authors because we know from industry research that the quote-unquote like power book buyer is buying 10 books a year and I would venture that those are 10 books mostly from authors that that person is following you know like they want to know when the new Helen Oyayemi is coming out and they're going to buy her new book Um, or they want to know when the new Brene Brown is coming out and they're going to buy her new book so if you get those hooks where the, the authors are doing a good job on social the publisher is running a good newsletter about that author's upcoming campaigns and upcoming projects and can communicate directly to those fans, then maybe you have a shot at like, hey, this author that you love uh, has a new book coming out. You can only buy it directly from us. Here's where you go. Um, That seems to me the path that makes more sense if you want to break away from Amazon and Barnes & Noble than trying to brand uh, consumers to feel like they have some sort of relationship with Random House. Um, It's that I'm a fan of X. And that's what makes it like if Taylor Swift wanted to break away from her label and put an album out on her own she could because she's got a great social setup happening and if she wanted to say hey i dropped this new album it's i did it all by myself and you can only buy it like you can only download the mp3 from taylorswift.com people would find out about that and they would know how to do it and they would do it but i don't think that there's really an equivalent in publishing maybe other than J.K. Rowling, maybe E.L. James could do that herself. Um, Stephanie Meyer, Suzanne Collins, uh, James Stephen Patterson. King, yeah, oh, yeah, Stephen Roth. King, right, right, right. Some of those big names. You know, names. I think they could. I mean, they could make a go of it. Yeah. Um, you know, especially someone would want to do it for, for non-financial reasons, I think, right? I mean, I think that's the thing that you'd want control. You'd want to just do it for the, for the sake of trying to do it. You want the mm-hmm. ownership. You want you know, the non-financial things. I think for someone like Rowling or King, they probably wouldn't make as much money doing it on their own, at least initially. But there would be other remunerations. You know, there'd be other compensations. You'd get things back, you know. And not everyone wants the control because it's hard to make stuff. Um, It's hard to be in charge of 
securing foreign rights and commissioning translations and multiple covers and you know all doing IOs and payroll <laughs> and you know you, and building up a staff, which is basically you know what publishing does, and it's an interest you know you never really think about it this way, but basically authors are subcontracting out the book making yes. process, not the writing process, but the book making and book selling process, and they're good at it. Um, not to say they can't get better, but they're very good at it. So you have to replicate that whole apparatus. But as as a infrastructure has grown up around self-publishing, there may come a time when there are off-the-shelf products and services that a big-time person could 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 use, right? Like you only have to supply Ingram, you know, you supply Ingram and they can supply physical bookstores. So some of those pieces, you just have to have to ride the pipeline. Now, it's not going to be everywhere and blanketed and you're not going to get – the kinds of publicity support that publishing is especially good at doing that really self-publishing to this point hasn't figured out how to, to, to replicate. Um, but I think it'll happen someday. And, and I think it's going to be someone with a, a brand, you know, George R. R. Martin might be an interesting case of another one where, you know, they have a brand that they can take out into the public, sort of the public mm. market. Oh, I had forgotten about him. Yeah. You know, take it out into the public market and, and, and give it a go. But it's someone who wants the control, someone who thinks independently, thinks like an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, oh, you know if George R. R. Martin made the next Game of Thrones book sure. only available yeah, from I'm his sure own. his publishing deal prohibits that. Well, sure. But if he could magically yeah, break free. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that would work. It would be so interesting. Very, yeah, that's what I'm saying. From a si- On the sideline, it would be sort of I'd, I'd get all the popcorn out. You know, like yeah. I get, I'd get uh, my number one PJs. What if Harper Collins had only made Ghost at a Watchman available from Harper Collins? Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's the kind Lee. of thing, com. right? I mean, I, I don't know. Like in that kind of thing, maybe you don't look at a mass market thing, but you look at something that's really super niche and has its own fandom that will go. Mm-hmm. individually and, and go buy something specifically yeah, like that. Yeah, somebody with a big web following. So like Rainbow Rowell, if she wanted to do it, her fans are so active online and they're so plugged in. And Gaiman, she's so, I mean, that's another yeah, one. Yeah, Neil Gaiman, that would be interesting. He seems to have a little a bit of the entrepreneurial spirit, if mm-hmm. not sort of the business, acumen's the wrong word, because I'm sure he's a very crafty guy, yeah. but sort of the business desire. He likes desire. to throw the spaghetti at the wall. Yeah, he, he does. He likes to experiment. Yeah, a couple right. years ago. Yeah, yeah, right. He's done his own Tumblr and a bunch of other mm-hmm. d- 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 things. So I don't know. It's going to take the right fit, but I still am waiting for someone to give it a go. And I guess that's what Pottermore was, but it was almost like too much. Like the, uh, for some reason, I feel like the minimum viable product, I'm sorry, this is using business development speak, like <laughs> it's not like a huge website with interactive games. It's here's my next book from a brand or author you already know. And all it is is sales. <laughs> that's yeah. all that it is. Um, I, that's what I would like to to see someone experiment with. When, yeah, you and I both have a preference for things that do one thing really yes, well. Yes, we do. Also, yeah. so I would I would like to see that also. Like either build a really amazing community fan site. Mm-hmm. Or build a really effective direct sales thing. And don't try to be a specialist in both of those at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, Especially it's so early in these experiments and nobody has done this really well yet. Nobody has done either of those things really, really well in, an, in a lasting way yet. So like, let's let's perfect one and then right. perfect the other. Yeah. And, and see where it goes from there because the nice thing, I mean, the theory behind the minimum viable product, if you do the... The step one very well, that can use that to fund step two and step three and step four. Whereas if you put, you know, everything out, kind of like what Pottermore did, and there's not enough support in the public, in the market, 
then the whole thing comes sort of toppling down because mm-hmm. you've outlaid all this money rather than sort of build from what works to like experiment. You just you should throw th- all the spaghetti and the oregano and the meatballs <laughs> and the wine on the wall. It um, sounds like my snow day shopping yeah, list. <laughs> right. um, so anyway, Pottermore continues to fascinate me and you. And I think yeah, it's really it says it's something about what's going on in publishing. And it might it might have been just ahead of its time or a little behind the curve on the Harry Potter uh, popularity you know, mm-hmm. life cycle or, or between this fantastic beast. Oh, or something yeah, man. Else. If Pottermore it, had been rolled out in like 2005, you know, in yes. the middle of oh, man. still, you know, Harry Potter fandom was still growing. The books yeah. weren't even all out yet. There could have been, you know, excerpt teasers only for Pottermore members and mm-hmm. early pre-orders and all manner of amazing things. Yeah, I, I'm surprised... I swear we'll stop talking about this just a minute. I'm surprised <laughs> she had the contractual wherewithal to to control where the audiobooks were distributed from. I would assume Scholastic had that all wrapped up, and you know I can't imagine it's doing is Scholastic getting any cut of the. Did they get cuts of the sales through Pottermore? Like how did that all work? Like I don't yeah, even know. I don't know. Um, I want to know these things. Oh, I'd love to know. I'd love to take a look at their <laughs> there, I hadn't incorporation even really papers about, like, and contracts. Kind of, yeah, how secretive, for lack of a better term, the really the business arrangements of yeah. J.K. Rowling stuff are like, how how did that happen? Yeah, I um, don't know. It's very, very interesting. It is very interesting. Um, okay, so we mentioned, we'll move on now, yeah. that Penguin Random House in the UK uh, just launched, and it's really just Penguin UK. Yeah, Penguin UK. Um, just launched a new consumer-facing website. It's what does Penguin... consumer-facing mean? I mean, at least what they, I'm, I'm, you know, explain it to me like I'm a four-year-old, like from okay, a right. movie so Philadelphia. Okay, right. So consumer-facing would be where they hope that normal people who read books and buy books but don't work in the industry aren't, they aren't booksellers or librarians or teachers. They're just readers. And they hope that this is where readers will come to discover their next read. Right. Um, it's, I mean, these are all like, let's be real. All of these websites are just publisher marketing. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with it. They are. Yeah. No, yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. They're just expressions of publishers continual frustration with like, I think publishers have realized and accepted that most readers don't have a discoverability problem. Readers know where to go to find out about books. Um, the thing that we hear is I have such a hard time narrowing down what I'm going to read, but not like I, not from readers who actually have a hard time finding out what is available to them, but often what publishers want to market and sell is not the same thing as what readers are interested in. And so these are, I, I always read these publisher websites, and this is a little bit cynical, but I read them as an expression of publishers' desire to be like, here is the thing we want you to buy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the thing we wish that you were interested in. Um, so they have, the, this one has, uh, you know, new year, new book, find your next read. There's a Penguin podcast that has an episode with Neil Gaiman, Speak of the Devil. Mm-hmm. Um Interviews with other popular authors, new chapter excerpts, um, and then there's some content like uh, a video interview. Uh, Nick Hornby talking at Google on the Nick Hornby page. Yeah, there's like a that. crossword puzzle of first lines from classic books. Like they're doing some content stuff. Publishers are having this interesting late to the game recognition that content can drive interest in books and book sales. Wait, what? Um, <laughs> I know. No. <laughs> We should get on that. We should really make a website yeah, for that. That's a good idea. What do we do? <laughs> what is this? Our pajama podcast. Someday there will be yeah. one. Uh, 
And, and so it is interesting. You pointed out, like, you can't buy books directly from this new thing. If you click on a title, you can read about the book, you can read some excerpts. And then if you click buy, it pops up another window that lets you choose where to buy the book. So this site really is just supposed to serve as discovery and recommendations, I guess. So you've got to decide, I need something new to read. Where mm -hmm. will I find out what to read? And then you have to decide to go to the Penguin website for your choices and buy what penguin wants to sell you. And then you have to go back to the retail outlet yeah. of your choice to actually buy the thing. Yeah. Super it's interesting. Pretty. It's pretty. <laughs> and you know, it's, you know, we think of this as, you know, we, we are, I guess, interested observers of the publishing industry, but also, you know, one of its, you know, satellites of, of some degree mm -hmm. in terms of what we take, we sell advertising to publishing and we cover it and we talk about it, but we're not experts. So, but from the outside, you know, you can see there's kind of this, I don't know, almost almost schism in what publishing is wanting to do. Because on the one hand, they, they're trying to get you to go to other places to sell their books. Because they don't want to compete with, at least they don't seem to want to compete with independent mm -hmm. bookstores and Barnes & Noble and, you know, Amazon and Books A Million and all the different places you can go. And, I, you know, all the different places you could go. Though there's there's it makes a certain degree of sense though that if you get someone to the Nick Hornby page for his book and they click buy, why hand that off to some other retailer who takes fifty percent mm -hmm. of the cover price? I mean, let's be honest, like yeah. they're taking a huge chunk where and maybe it's it's a strategy tax where in order to protect the relationships with the retailers they have, they really can't do the thing that might benefit them in the long run. But it seems like they're going to all this effort and redesign and creating content and tweeting and doing the whole thing to get you to the point where you learn about the book and you hover over by, and then they go give you someone else's experience. Like it's very, it's a very well, disjointed kind of idea. All that hinges on getting the person to the Nick Hornby. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's page, absolutely true. Which these sites are beautiful and they're expensive mm -hmm. to build and. I just don't believe that they are worth the development money, that the return on that ever comes back um, to publishers. I, I don't think that this is what readers want from a publisher. Like the, So there's this uh, debut books of 2016 list that you can click on. Right. And they're, of course, all Penguin books with descriptions with the dates that those books are available. And you can click, you know, from that list onto the book's page to order or pre-order the books. Like, why do I trust Penguin Random House's recommendations of their own books for me? Yeah. As a reader, that's not where I want to get my recommendations. We've seen some traffic stats from other publishing, like content projects, and it they they can't be worth what they're spending to develop the sites and then to pay the people mm -hmm. who write for them, plus all the effort to then use social media to drive traffic back to those sites and then make get the reader to make the second hop over to right. the purchase. Um, this seems to me like a Fund, another piece of that fundamental misunderstanding of how readers want to find out about books and how readers do find out about books and who they trust and don't trust. Well, like, it's either a misunderstanding or they do understand it, but there's nothing else for them to do. Right. I mean, I or guess that's what I was like trying to say. Or they just like wish it were different. <laughs> yeah, or, but, you know, sometimes you got to remember, they they might build something like this not for sort of a direct return on investment through sales, but it's sort of marketing for Penguin to agents and editors and authors. Sure. Like, you know, that, you know, Nick Hornby's got a pretty page so that he feels good about his relationship with Penguin Random House. You know, right. like one of the reasons, for example, publishers, again, I'm horribly, terribly, irrevocably, irredeemably biased here. 
overpay for a big full page ad in the New York Times for $50,000 when, you know, maybe 50,000 people are going to see it that actually, you know, of the million subscribers that actually mm-hmm. open up their book. But some of that is not marketing to readers. It is showing authors support and look, we bought sure. you. And so like, and that's the, that's the part of the equation that we really don't see, but it's very difficult to, inter- it's yeah, very difficult there's... to imagine that they're going to make up the development cost of this website by the fraction of the sale price they're getting because they push someone over to Barnes and Noble to buy the Nick Hornby. I just, I yeah. just cannot believe yeah. that's and, possibly true. And we have both sat in meetings with editors and with publicists and with marketing people who say variations of I'm in the author services yes, right. business. Like, I know it doesn't make sense to spend this much money on this kind of ad in pure return on investment from mm-hmm. sales, but the agent wants to see it. The author wants to see it. And so that's the nonsensical thing we do. And then other um, authors want to see it. They'll say, oh, you know what? Uh, right. Lee Bordeaux books, who just bought this um, huge ad for the heart the size of a fist, in mm-hmm. um, this week's new, like they see that. And so when they're going out to shop and they get a couple offers, like, well, you know what? I saw that you guys put out this great big ad for debut author. Like, that's amazing. You know, mm-hmm. so it's I a, want that thing, too. It's a little hard. It's the spreadsheet on the ROI is <laughs> is not available to us, but it's also diffuse. And so the, some really of it is, is very of it is, is difficult to quantify. Well, sure. And there is value in keeping your authors yeah. happy. But I think there's also value in managing expectations right. or educating authors about what is important. Yeah, you'll sell more books if you if you important. advertise Book Riot. That's what I want them to say. <laughs> I mean, that's just what I want them to say. But much like you, sure. but much like you and I don't want to go to a million different apps to read HarperCollins versus right. Macmillan. We don't want to go to 10,000 websites to, to, to research books. You know what ends up happening? We go to Amazon. We yeah. go to Goodreads. Uh, we want to learn about Nick Hornby. I go to my Twitter I go theme. to Wikipedia. Right. Right. If I want to know something about Nick Hornby, I'm not going to be like, oh, let's me find his English website, <laughs> English publisher's right, yeah, website. I was, I was playing out that conversation in my head as you were saying, you know, the publisher can show, like, they can show Nick Hornby and Nick Hornby's agent, just as our example here. Look, we built this pretty page for you on our pretty new website. And so now readers can click on it and they can read this interview that we did with you and they can find out about your books. And like the unspoken piece there is like, yes, but maybe 12 of them will do that in a month. Maybe 12. Because um, I, I mean, I'm just looking at like, if I just Google Nick Hornby. Right. I mean, again, this is the U.S. and Google has its own algorithms. The first thing is Nick Hornby Wikipedia. Uh And if I'm just Googling Nick Hornby, that's where I'm going. Right. The next one is Nick Hornby's personal homepage. Also seems like a good option. Then IMDb, then Amazon, then Goodreads. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'd love to. Look, this is one like, mistake that I make all the time, and I think other people who are sort of outside publishing, like everyone thinks everyone else is, that doesn't know how to do their job <laughs> if you've never done the job before. We think about this. Teachers, doctors, firemen, politicians, writers, editors, journalists. They, they're all idiots, and why are they doing the things they do? Um, but as Merlin Mann says in, uh, on, their, on his great podcast, Back to Work, everybody has their reasons, and you just don't always know what those reasons are. It's not that they're, not, not that they're dumb. It's just that you're ignorant of the, the various reasons and pressures and um, pulls on people's time, attention, and priorities that you don't have access to. So I guess, I guess my most generous critique is there must be constraints here I don't understand. You know, there must be a mental calculation or a, a corporate strategy that they're trying to do something with this to understand. Because on the surface level. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, we also know that publishing is slow to change, and so there may be 
some recognition of these pressures and constraints. And there might even be recognition that like these ideas that we've had about what's important to give authors and agents are changing. Yes. But how you break those chains and how you do the re-education uh, is a slow and long process. I can't imagine the frustration of, you know, like being a marketing person in a publishing house and being handed a budget for a book and looking at where I would like to put the money, but then basically having to put the money in the spot that makes the author the happiest. And you and I um, have both heard that off the record from yes, people yeah. that work in publishing. Like, yeah, I know. I mean, God, right. wish. Yeah, like, I yeah, wish. We know yeah, we know. We could sell more books if we put it in 12 places than if we spent all the money in one place. But the author or the agent wants to see all that money in one place. And so that's what we're doing. And mm-hmm. they like that would be difficult to know you're producing and marketing a book that you're going to sell fewer copies of because you also have to make the author happy. There are a lot of, I, you know, there's a lot of crazy math yeah. that, um, that people have to make in making those decisions. And it, it frustrates me as a person on the outside. It's like, but why? Why wouldn't right. you just say like, no, we're putting the money where we can sell you the most books? Yeah. 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 And that's why I kind of went back to that. They they neither are strong enough to make an independent move. Like say, like, I guess a good example would be Apple, right? They were strong enough that they could go launch their own retail stores. Like people want, they had enough money. They had a killer product, the iPhone. There was no Apple retail store before the iPhone that they had sort of a peg they could hand. It's crazy to think of going to an electronic store that sells basically one product and its peripheral or one company's stuff and its peripherals rather than the best buy, right? The Bar- Barnes and Noble is the best buy of books. What I was am curious to see if, if Random House could do the Apple store of books, mm, you know, like mm-hmm. could they do something like that? Um, and again, it's a, it's a different field and the, the economics are different. I don't even mean exactly the same, but kind of the same move of we're going to move from, from a position of strength to try to strike out on their own because Apple gets to control the experience. They get all the data. They get all the, you know, they don't have to sell it for half. They still, you can still buy an iPhone at Best Buy and they get half price and they get the difference, but they sell it through their own store. You know, it's, it's its own kind of experience. And again, you know, I don't know that there's a publisher, if a publisher could do it. And again, that's a big premise to this sort of log, the syllogistic chain. Yeah, that's a big if. That it would be Random House at this point to do it. And weirdly, I don't think they control any of the big controls wrong. I don't think they represent, do they represent Game of Thrones? They don't, do they? Yeah. Oh, they do. Well, mm-hmm. okay. I stand corrected. I thought it was HarperCollins. That was the Game Oh, of I think it's, I think Random House yeah, is him. Yeah, but you'd almost. To the Google machine. Yeah, and you guys can, you know, let me Google that for you. But, you know, one of those titles like that where, you know, you had something where you could build out a big thing about it around it, you know, um, it would be super interesting to see. And again, uh, you know, it's diff- they're, they're in a difficult position. They're not desperate, but they're also not rolling in it. Um, and so you get these sort of three quarters baked solutions, maybe half, three quarters baked might be generous for this, in my opinion. <laughs> it is, um, Random House is has Bantam books. They do have Bantam, right. Okay. Yeah. Which has Game of Thrones. I'm never going to get those. I apparently I'm just never going to, I'm never going to (laughs) remember which imprint goes with which. I've been trying to do it for almost five years now and I cannot do it. I need like flashcards or something. It would be the biggest family tree kind of thing. Like I've, I think we've talked about Bantam. I should know. I should know Bantam is random. In the life of Book Riot, we've talked about like building charts of houses and imprints and they change so often things like new imprints are born and old imprints die and imprints get combined into new things that it would just be it would just be huge like i could cover a wall of my office i mean it really there's no better evidence that imprint don't matter than the sort of right. sort of you know How like the, 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 the nuclear fission of recombinatorial imprint <laughs> building that happens and you know different things and it just doesn't seem to matter 
right? No. Is it like one has 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 one reorganization of imprints ever really changed much? I, it doesn't seem to me that it has. Um, let's do our next okay. sponsor, which is us. Yes, it's us. We are excited to you know blow the confetti cannons again. That Book Riot Live 2016 is going to happen, and now we have dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be November 12th and 13th later this year in New York City at the Metropolitan West, which is the same site where we had the event this year. That is basically all we know so far. All we can tell you. Uh, so November 12th and 13th, save your dates. Um, we can you can start you know looking for airlines tickets and hotel rooms if you're a super advanced planner and we'll have a link in the show notes where you can sign up to be on the mailing list and find out when tickets are going to go on sale and then as we start announcing who the speakers and what the programming will be you can get that news too so please plan to come hang out with us for two days in the fall and see a bunch of authors and meet a bunch of book nerds and you know party for a couple days um save those dates november 12th and 13th and click the link in the show notes to sign up for the book riot live newsletter yeah, or you can go to bookriotlive.com and find out and all of that stuff there um, oh, yes, right. speaking of uh literary events mm. um this was this is one that was sort of an insidery thing that happened over, I guess it was the last week. It's, we're, we're on the other side of the pond for a lot of our stories. Um, Philip Pullman, best known for the um, His Dark Materials trilogy. Yeah, yes. I guess it's just three books. Um, has long been one of the, the patrons and I guess on the board of the Oxford Literary Festival. Um, which is a literary festival that happens over in Oxford, if you couldn't tell from the, the <laughs> title. Um, he's, been, he's been going for 20 years Dang. And he has never been paid, and he has been um, president of the society. He is the president of the Society of Authors, and part of their, I guess, their their agenda of late has been to make sure authors get paid at these festivals. And he says it's, it's awkward for me to continue. He's been trying to get the Oxford Literary Festival to to pay for a long time, and I guess this is enough is enough, right? He's been trying, and yeah. it's not like he's throwing a fit right now, which I think. Even if he was, it would be well within his rights to do so. But he's been within the system trying to get them to, to turn around. Um, and finally, he's like, you know what? I, I can't do it. And, you know, the, the, key, the thing that gets to me that he gives this line, he says, festivals pay everyone else mm-hmm. who's professionally involved. They pay for the electricity they use. They pay rent for the lecture halls they hire. They pay the people who supply the marquees and the toilets. They pay the publicists and the professional administrators. They pay for drinks receptions. They pay the people who cook and serve the black tie dinners and quotation marks. They pay the people who design and print the brochures and the programs. They pay the people who do the cleaning. Only the authors are expected to work for nothing. Many of us have had enough of that. Pretty difficult logic to argue with. What I guess we should give the yeah. what is the what's the best case on the other side before we get into what we think? What's the what's the case for rationalizing not paying authors? Because uh, well, there is one though I don't kind of agree with it, but there yeah, is an argument. I mean many, most I think even it's fair to say mm-hmm. literary festivals and events don't pay authors to speak at them because they present those opportunities as opportunities to market and sell your books. So we won't pay you to speak, but you'll get to be in front of, you know, readers who either don't know you or who haven't bought your books yet, or they want to buy your next thing, or they're such big fans that they'll buy whatever you put in front of them. So come, we're not going to give you dollars directly, but you'll be able to earn dollars by speaking in front of these readers and then selling books at the event is typically 
how it's presented. Often literary festivals are running as nonprofits also and are constrained with their budgets. But as Pullman is pointing out here, they find money um, for other things that they deem priorities and they just don't deem paying authors a priority because I mean, I think it's essentially hand waving to be like, we're not going to pay you because book sales. Yeah, right. Um, When, you know, if you sold 50 hardcovers at an event, you know, you're going to make a couple bucks off each hardcover. I think five bucks if you're the 20% royalty. Yeah. So you're making 250 bucks, right? Is yeah. that the math? Mm-hmm. Five times 50. Yeah, right. Um, so, which, okay. I mean, sure. Sure. Uh, on the other hand, you could say to whoever did the poster design, well, you're going to see people, people are going to see your posters right. and maybe some of them want poster design. So <laughs> can you, I'm just imagining yeah. if we told our designer, Scott, like, we're not going to pay you for all that design work you did for Book Riot mm-hmm. Live, but we'll put your name on all the pigeons. Right. I mean, it's especially, it's especially, I guess, biting because the authors are the attraction. Like they, right. they're the circus animals at this particular um, mm-hmm. carnival. Like those, these are the, these most by and large, they're coming to see authors. Now there could be panels and critics and other people. They, but the authors are the star of the show. And so there's this whole pyramid of paying for services. But those that are under the spotlight do not get remunerated um, directly. It's all this sort of indirect stuff. And I think, you know, these are, now these are also, these are big events, Um they also have to the, Oxford Literary Festival also has this restraint of trade terms. Well, restraint of trade is a pejorative, but like no signings within 30 days of the event within 40 miles of Oxford yeah. as well. So it's not only we're not going to pay you, but you can't do anything around in the same area. It's sort of a, you're almost paying for the privilege of be there by not being paid and also agreeing mm-hmm. to forego yeah. other opportunities. I've uh, heard of some, I think there's an indie, one of the indie stores in New York, and I can't remember which one it is, so I won't guess, um, does the same thing where if you're having an event at their store, they ask that you not have another, I think it's one of the stores in Manhattan, they ask that you not have another event in Manhattan um, within like two or three weeks of that because they believe it dilutes that, it it dilutes their event and then they get fewer sales and I guess, you know, you can make the argument that the author gets fewer sales um, or there's less urgency to go to the one event and so fewer people attend overall. I don't know if if the math actually works out that way, but that's the way that they make the case, and that's a big enough, important enough store that authors and publishers agree. I think that sucks. I hate that. I've always it. hated about bookstores yeah. myself. I mean, I'm sorry to my, all yeah, my independent bookstore I mean, friends out there. I think that sucks. It sucks if you're uh, the other side of it is it sucks if you're the event director at an indie bookstore and like you've got an author event that you're marketing, and then the indie bookstore two miles down the road is marketing the same yeah, author a week later. I guess. Um, I don't know. Like, But if you're the publisher and you're trying to maximize that author's events, then it's a different, like, yeah, that's a different. I mean, I I don't know. Rubric. I mean, I lived in New York for so long that I knew the difference between someone doing an event at uh, the Strand versus Court Street. Like, it's an hour away, basically, yeah. by mass transit. Like, it's almost a different town. And there are 7 million people in the city. Like, I don't know. I think that's. So anyway, back to the particular story. Uh-huh. I think it's good for Philip Pullman. I think it's a conversation that needs to happen. Um, the, there was a festival that the Society of Authors did that you can they link to, and you can see most festivals pay between 150 pounds and 200 pounds per appearance mm-hmm. to authors, and in American dollars, like two to three hundred dollars is sort of the yeah. range. Um, however, Oxford was not among them. So this cottage industry um, around author and book events. I think it's changing as authors realize, and I think it should change as there 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 are not as many sales 
per book because there are more books, that they're looking for other ways to make some money. Mm -hmm. um, some of it's a sign of respect, I think, too. We, you know, dollars signal value. Um, it's interesting. I do wonder about that model of going on tour and appearing for free at Barnes & Noble. I, you know, yeah. that, that, I don't know why the logic doesn't hold to Barnes & Noble. Yeah. I, it, it's Or, to be fair, politics and prose or wherever, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, we've seen... We've seen major decreases in what author tours look like yep. in the last, you know, five or six years. But I do still semi-regularly you know, have conversations with publishers where they say things like, well, we're spending a lot on the tour and so we can't spend on ads. Mm -hmm. And that's another, I think that's another case of authors want to go on tour. Agents want to go on tour. Those face-to-face -face interactions with readers are exhausting, but also really satisfying. And they, they have value, but it's very hard to quantify. Like not to yeah, say they don't have value. I mean, but like if you spend... Uh, $1,000, let's say, flying a New York author to Los Angeles and putting them up in a hotel for a couple of nights and covering their meals and their transportation yeah. and the author escort who's going to be with them the whole time so that they can do an event at an L.A. bookstore. You are not selling enough books I at can't that imagine LA appearance to make it worth it. So there have to be other reasons that feel important. I mean, maybe it's like money. the consumer website. You do it for the author. You do it for yeah. potential authors. You do it for agents and editors and... You do it to you do it so that your sales reps can talk to the mm -hmm. bookstore about you know we're gonna we're gonna bring someone here right. and they can show them the catalog and they'll give them a few extra you know again not to say it doesn't have knock on value but in terms of again direct ROI it's very very hard to, to see how that happens yeah, it's, it's you know and events do get customers into bookstores yep. and so that's a way that publishers maintain their relationship with independent bookstores is sending them the authors that they feel are in demand in their community so that customers get in the store for the reading but also buy some other stuff yeah. while they're there like the ecosystem is very incestuous <laughs> like for for lack of a better that's not the best term but that's what's coming out of my brain right now and um, i think you and i have both been part of planning literary events for nonprofits i know that i've mm -hmm. been part of it for an organization in richmond and that event is the single biggest source of cash for uh, for the organization throughout the year. And it relies on ticket sales to make its money and to keep operations of the organization going and taking all of the cash and, you know, deciding that paying authors is not a priority, I think is just a bad move. I guess full disclosure, we don't pay a jillion dollars yes, for Book Riot but Live Speakers, pay. but we do pay everyone who appears on a stage mm -hmm. at our events. So we are ranting about a thing that we care about. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's a good disclosure. I was going to say something similar, just um, that we're both, you know, we have our own events, so we have competing interests to some degree, though I don't know how many people are deciding between Book Riot Live and the Oxford Literary Festival. <laughs> If you are, you're an idiot. If you go, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We probably can't pay for your flight from London. No, probably not. Probably not. Um, but I think that has to be our show today. We're running oh, late yeah. because we got it. We got a little after show. I do want to. Oh, I got to do the quick. We have to talk about the Penguin UK job thing really quick. Oh, really quick. Okay, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It feels like a moment of progress. Yes. And since I was sort of, you know, I'm, coming I skipped down over on, that as we were doing segues. But yeah, yeah tell me about since that. Since we real were quick. we were coming down on their direct to consumer website, Penguin Random House in the UK has removed the requirement that job applicants have a university degree. Um, they recognize that there is no 
uh, simple correlation between having a degree and a person's ongoing performance at work. Um, some of their brightest talents come from a variety of backgrounds and not just from top universities. And so they want to have a more diverse workforce and um, also not restrict themselves with job requirements that don't actually mean anything. They're recognizing that the numbers uh, don't bear out that having a degree makes a difference in how a person performs their job for Penguin Random House UK. So they are dropping that and they will presumably and hopefully have a bigger and more diverse pool of applicants as a result. They, they say, of course, um, graduates are still welcome to apply for jobs. Right. <laughs> uh, which is like a hilarious thing to have to remind people of here. Uh, but not having been through higher education will no longer preclude anyone from joining Penguin Random House UK or from progressing in their career. Um, I think that's awesome. I'll be excited to follow it. I hope that they release more information about how it goes like in a year or two, what their workforce looks like as a result of this. So good job, Penguin Random House UK. I'd love to see some publishers here follow suit. Yeah, I'm a little surprised, honestly, that it's still a, it was a requirement. I mean, I think... My own thinking, again, some of it is how we do hiring here is like, I don't know, I'm not sure I've actually looked at a CV of anyone we've hired. It's certainly not. <laughs> um, but also I know like in the tech industry, especially the, the a college degree, you know, coming through and having a pedigree, it can be helpful. But I, um, Clint posted in the Slack, our, our company Slack, when we were talking about this event, because it was interesting to all of us involved, that something like 14% of Google's employees have never been to college. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I think... That's just the way of the future. Uh, I also said in Slack that, boy, what an indictment of the university and college, higher education system that trust in it has eroded to the point where people, talented people aren't going, higher, you know, hiring corporations are, are getting less invested in the college and higher edu education system rather than more. Um, and I don't know why that is necessarily. I don't know if the, you know, the emperor has no clothes to some of higher education is coming to bear or what exactly is going on. But it is interesting and it's, it's, it's worth thinking about. But I think it does open up and it reduces some of the constraints around diversity, especially because, the, you know, t just to be honest about it, like this, people from underrepresented groups don't have the same economic and uh, economic resources and also networking resources to get you into elite programs and colleges and, you know, different kinds of things of that nature. So um, it is, I think everyone knows implicitly that not everyone who's good at things go to college. And I, that's, that's all that this is, I think. Yep. Um, so anyway, we can talk more, yeah, maybe we'll talk more really about that as developers. Hopefully, yeah, I'd like to see US PRH. I mean, I'm yes, surprised it was at the same time. Happen. Or maybe, maybe they don't. Do you know? Do they have I a don't call? Know. Maybe, they, maybe they don't have it to start with. I'll take a look. Yeah, we'll do some follow up next week. Okay, so we're going to do a Star Wars after show. Swapna and Amanda are sitting there. They're sitting there in their um, their at at walker, just chomping at the. I bet they have their favorite pajamas on. Uh, too. Yeah, I'm sure. I've, I've already seen what Swapna's wearing. She posted a, a picture of her, her Star. <laughs> she's all like Star Wars up. I, I don't want to tell her. I mean, did she know podcasts? You don't see. Maybe it's just. It's kind of like <laughs> it's just important to feel. Who's good, the woman Jeff. that you read the book Presents that you do, you do the superhero pose before Amy you, Cuddy? Amy yeah. Cuddy. She's been reading Amy Cuddy, so you know I'm going to wear a, tie, a Darth Vader shirt to get ready for a Star Wars podcast. So we're going do the exit music you can find uh, and then after the exit music if you want to stick around and listen that's what the next hour or so of the show will be um thank you guys so much for listening you can find show notes at bookwrite.com slash podcast you know the rest we got to get out of here let's go talk star wars <laughs> thanks so much guys Bye. all right here it is 
our Force Awakens slash Star Wars retrospective, futurospective feelings extravaganza. Um, I've got Amanda Nelson. I've got Swapna Krishna and Shinsky and me. I should say there may be a curse word or two, such as the power of our feelings of this fully armed and operational after show that there might be a swear word or Maybe. two that gets dropped in. So if it won't you are, be like the live show. It won't be like the live show, but, you know, it, it, a little seasoning will go into it. Um, we're going to hear from Rebecca first because Rebecca is our, uh, I get, I really our specimen here. She had, <laughs> she had not seen the original trilogy only, only before December had she seen a new hope and caught up to see empire and return of the Jedi. And then it has seen force awakens. I would like to give you, I want to give me five minutes on now your impression of the star Wars thing. Now that you've seen the original trilogy and the new movie, are you, are you surprised how big of a thing it is? Does it make sense to you? What 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 pieces fit? What is still a mystery? Where, where are you right now in your in your Star Wars journey? You know, I think for so long I've just accepted that Star Wars is this thing that some people are passionately nerdy about that it was just this thing that existed and I didn't question it because so many people were passionately nerdy about it but I also didn't try really hard to understand like cultural gravity it just like, why it just they is. were right yeah it just existed there was this huge avid Star Wars fandom they were really into this thing and I'm never gonna I have ex- I know now having seen the original three and the Force Awakens like I'm never gonna be in that place I don't know that you can recap that you can do that as an adult um, it seems to me like they're is something about these movies that if you see them as a kid and you can be plugged into what the magic of them is and that sort of classic black hat, white hat, good versus evil battle thing, um, that that makes a difference. I really enjoyed them. Well, okay, so I have to confess, I fell asleep during A New Hope. Okay. Um, it is but, slow in the middle, like rewatching it. You know, there is yeah. there's a, there's a slow middle to that second act is, is rough. Okay. Go. Yeah, and I realized also this is an idiosyncratic thing, but that I have a harder time paying attention to dialogue when there's not a moving mouth that the dialogue is coming out of. Mm. So like all the stormtroopers walking around talking to each other, but you can't see a face made me like, there were just elements of A New Hope that I was kind of like, all right, whatever. And at some point I didn't intentionally fall asleep, but I fell asleep and then I woke up in time for the ending. And my husband says that I didn't miss much. I really loved Empire Strikes Back. Um, Amanda was here with me when I watched it and can confirm my deep delight in Yoda. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I am here for Yoda. I'm a little baffled. Like, are all of the Star Wars movies just about trying to blow up a Death Star that's bigger than the last one was? It certainly seems that way. I mean, we can talk, we can talk about that when we get to Force Awakens. Yeah. Um, um, interesting. And yeah. the, like, the dynamics between the characters were campier than I was expecting. Yes. Like, I, I knew that there would be earnest emotion, certainly, um, especially from, like, Luke. Uh, I knew that going in. But the the Han-Leia dynamic was much sillier than I was expecting, and I was really delighted by that. And at one point, I looked at Amanda, and I was like, wait, so Han Solo is a... Like, he's just an intergalactic fuckboy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I don't know that Swapna has ever been happier to be friends with me than when she got that text. Yes. <laughs> I was so proud. I was so proud. But that there was that just like, he's so, he's just so Army. convinced, kind of for no good reason, that Leia wants him. Mm-hmm. And that dynamic, I thought was, it was ridiculous, but it was really fun to watch. Um, 
I like all the robots I, or droids, I guess, is technically the way yes, to refer. Yes, thank you for that. To that. <laughs> Um, I really loved Yoda. I loved the whole thing in the Dagobah system that also just looks like the swamp that has the R.O.U.S.'s Definitely, the Princess Bride. <laughs> like, I'm starting to put together this thing in my head of like, okay, so all of these sci-fi fantasy universes, like everybody has a swamp and everybody has a desert. Um, and you just see variations of that across fantasy, which as a new, a relative newcomer to fantasy is... Mm-hmm an interesting thing to start realizing. Um, I'm like, I am the least invested in what I think is the thing I'm supposed to be the most invested about in star Wars, which is that good versus evil mm. battle. Um, interesting. And like, does everybody just have to kill their dad? <laughs> dads Not don't, dads don't fare very well. You know, dads it's, don't fare very, very well. Freudian. Oh, obviously sense. there are going to be spoilers for Oh yes, oh, I should have yes. yes, I thank you Amanda. For Excellent all of the point. movies including the new ones. Right, yeah, so. including yeah. the new ones. Yeah. I was Spo- I, th- I sort of think of the original like trilogy as beyond the statute of limitations yeah, on spoilers, too, but, but that's like yeah. it's still fair to say. Um, there were some surprises to me because I've been so like, I just wasn't, I never saw Star Wars as a kid. It just wasn't a thing that my parents, I guess, were interested in. So I didn't see it as a kid. And then I just proceeded to ignore it. So I didn't know all the details of the stories. I hadn't been, like, I knew that, you know, Darth Vader was Luke's father and mm-hmm. that he was going to die. Um but there were some pieces that were surprises to me. And I think because I had just sort of wholly ignored Star Wars and not been part of the fandom at all, I didn't even know like what the pieces were that I was supposed to be the most interested yes, in. that's super interesting. Yeah. And care about and what the pieces were that I wasn't supposed to be interested in and care about. It's like my favorite parts of Return of the Jedi were the Ewoks. I really loved the Ewoks. Um, I like was, you know, jumping up and down clapping about the existence of the Ewoks and I want to go <laughs> hang in their treehouse. And afterwards, my husband was like, well, you know, the like the diehard Star Wars fans kind of hate the Ewoks and they were really just put in to make the movies more family friendly and so that there would be merch to sell. And I was like, I don't care. I like the Ewoks. That was the best part. Like it was, that was a really enjoyable thing to come to something with such fresh eyes that I could, and as an adult who doesn't care, like I genuinely don't care about being the right kind of fan of a thing. Um, So it was fun to just experience the movies for what they were and see the silly parts for what they were and enjoy, like really enjoy Yoda and really enjoy the Ewoks and not feel both beholden to the expectations of that rabid fan culture because I don't know what the expectations are. Like, whatever the Star Wars equivalent of being able to name five Robins is, mm. <laughs> I don't know it and I can't do it. Um, I guess I, I, I guess the equivalent would be being able to name the bounty hunters on that one scene. Oh of the my day, God. Where it's, Empire. Yeah, Empire, yeah. IG-88 and Bosk and Boba Fett. And, and Bosk and, and Boba and, Fett, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got nothing. Yeah, the, I guess the, the inverse of the <laughs> Ewoks. The e- inverse of the Ewoks is how popular Boba Fett is. Like, do you care about Boba Fett at all, Rebecca? Not do you even at know? All. Who, do you even know who Boba Fett is? Do you know who Boba is? Fett is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I saw Boba Fett in one of the movies, and I was like, so he does a thing. Yeah, um, he does oh, I nothing. I wanted more Lando. Lando was like campy and fun to watch. Of course, everyone's yeah. more Lando. Yeah. yeah, I wanted more Lando in my life. Um, and then I really enjoyed The Force Awakens a ton. The Ray girl power was mm-hmm. awesome. I loved the one-liners that Finn got and how they mm-hmm. really played with what he was going to be like on screen. Um, 
It was fun. Like, I think that's my overall impression is that I had a lot of fun mm. seeing these. I'm really glad to be in on the joke now and to pick up people's references, but I don't have a lot invested in it. So I think I'll just continue to experience Star Wars as entertainment. I, I was, after I'd seen Force Awakens, I was thinking about you and sort of guessing what your reaction to the movie would be. I was guessing yeah. that it might be your favorite of the four, mm. the the new one. Is, is that right? Or do you like Empire better than the Force Awakens? Oh, I mean... If there had been Yoda in the new one, oh, I see. Okay. that would have done it, I think. But I think currently I really loved Empire. But the new one has so much to recommend it. Yes, it does. I agree. Namely that it has women and people of color in it and it looks like the world that I want to watch movies in. So if I were going to like buy the fancy DVD of one of them and throw my money behind one of them, I think it would be... Uh, Force Awakens for those. Like, if I buy a Star Wars T-shirt, it's going to have Ray on it. Um, Good luck. <laughs> yeah, we yeah we can talk about that too in a little bit. I, I'm going to get Swimming and Amanda's sort of capsule review feelings before we get to specific things. I guess for me, I'm not going to talk about the Force Awakens right now. Just sort of moving from the original trilogy. I can't think about the original trilogy with anything like objective eyes. Like I can't even like I know objectively that there's parts where Hamill overacts and isn't great, but like it's. It's like saying that the sun is too bright or something. Like, it just, it, it doesn't seem like it could be other than it is to me because they were so much a part of me growing up. Like, I don't even really have memories that, that I had. I, I don't have memories of seeing them for the first times. They're, they just are what they are. And I went into the new movie so guarded because of the original trilogies that it took me a second time to really, I think, enjoy it, to be honest. Um, that I was just sort of always waiting for a giant turd in the punch bowl, and it never really came, which was so the second time I could could sort of go enjoy it. But like, I don't know. I know I still Swapn is a little bit like me in the original trilogy. Like we can't even look at it because it's just so ingrained. Is that how it is for you, Amanda? Like, how, what kind of what what flavor of fan of Star Wars are you going into Force Awakens? I'm between yeah. you and Swapn and Rebecca. Like I grew up with it. My my dad watched it probably once a quarter. He rotated between watching the Star Wars trilogy and the Godfather trilogy. Oh. Like every that month. That explains so much about you. Thank you. That's yes. Very interesting. Yes, Darth Corleone. Uh, that's Amanda. But we were foundationally a Star Trek household. I, that I did know. I did remember that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. So I it, like I have Star Wars. You know, like reverberating in the back of my head from being a kid, and I appreciate the the original trilogy, and um, I've seen all the prequels or whatever. And I could probably do like a fifty percent on the name Five Robins Star Wars. Right. Stuff. Okay. I see. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, but that's about. So I. So tell me about what do you think of Force Awakens? Let's get right into it. I liked it. I thought that it was exactly what it was exactly what I hoped it would be as far as like fan service. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was super fun. And um, of course, I loved Ray and Finn and their whatever, like interactions. And um, Kylo Ren was such an emo guy I would have dated in high school. You made <laughs> so many noises about Kylo Ren when we were. I loved there. him and his cape and I want it, the cape. Uh, and he has really good hair. Anyway, I have a lot of Kylo Ren Felix. Um, I didn't think that, like, as a movie, standing apart from the Star Wars universe and all of the baggage that comes with that, I didn't think it was necessarily, like, that great, you know? Mm. Um, so if it just been dropped out of the sky as a new franchise, you're like, yeah, B, maybe a good, like, solid yeah. B. Yeah, okay. I mean, like, it's fun, right. it's whatever, but um, I thought it was kind of shallow and was... I don't know. I'm just kind of conflicted about the fan service stuff. Like it was obviously here to make people happy, people who already know Star Wars happy, which is great. But then they had to incorporate so many different elements of the universe into two hours that it just felt kind of stuffed. Yeah. To me. Um, 
when you've got, I mean, Nick, you've got a whole new trilogy. Spread that shit out. So. Right. <laughs> um, right. He had like another Death Star and whatever. whatever it's fine. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm okay. going to obviously see the rest of them. So Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, if you enjoy the movie and get excited for the next one, I guess it's done his job, right? Yeah. Like I'm more interested in the next one almost more than I'm interested in this one or like, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, I guess, cause it wasn't a piece of crap right. and you've got a lot of interesting places it can go. And also I guess that it feels like I will be surprised if the second or episode eight is as much of a echo, I should say of a new, of empire as episode seven was of a new hope. I mean, I, I hope that it's not like there's a bit, there's a bunch of training stuff with Ray and, she has to, you know, a, a lot of the Yoda 2.0. Yeah. Well, I guess <laughs> Maz Kanata is supposed to be. Like, I don't, I, I'm not really sure. Like, I hope they got that out of their system a little bit. All right, Swapna. Oh, dear. <laughs> Swapna, Swapna, I always think of myself as, as, as a, as a um, top level predator of Star Wars nerddom, but I have nope. found, I have found <laughs> the, the lion to my hyena. Swapna um, is like Swapna. the new dinosaur they built in the new Jurassic Park right. movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's right. She, they've messed around with my genetic code and combined <laughs> it with some, some crocodile or some shit and created Swapna. How much um, Star Wars clothing are you wearing right now, Swapna? I'm wearing a Star Wars t-shirt, Star Wars leggings, and a Star Wars sweatshirt. There it is. Oh, yeah. Same looking. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So, yeah. Swapna, I know a little bit of your, your feelings, but like, can, can you distill your reaction to Force Awakens into two or three minutes, or is that impossible? No, I mean, I loved it. It was not a perfect movie, and I'm objective enough to be able to tell that, but it was a perfect movie for me. Mm. Like, I absolutely loved and it. And so why is it perfect for you? I think because, I mean, it's, it's, it's the flip side of what Amanda said. There is a lot of fan service, and I'm the fan they're servicing, mm. and I'm fine with that. <laughs> like, yeah. I, that's what I wanted. You know, I But that's interesting that you're fine with being serviced like that, because like, yeah. that's one critique people have, you know, in sort of reviews, is like, maybe there's too much fan service, but... It didn't feel like too much to you. No, it didn't feel like too much to me because it's what I wanted out of it. Like, I have waited my entire... Like, I'm like you. I don't remember not having seen Star Wars. And I've waited my entire life to see a good Star Wars movie in the theater. So, I mean, it's just... It was... I absolutely loved it. The first time I saw it, I was too anxious to enjoy it. Like, I was so nervous about what they were going to do. And I, Luke Skywalker is my favorite character. I was really nervous about what they were going to do with him. And then when... Well, luckily, they, they did nothing. <laughs> well, at least you got to see him because my big fear was oh, when right. he had a lot of feelings in his face. Yeah, well, when um, you saw the one scene from the trailer halfway through the film yeah. that he's in where he touches R2, I was really afraid he wasn't going to show up in the movie. Maybe I, just in a dream or that's it at the end or like. Yeah, not I was through. so I, I'm actually OK with him not having any lines because he's in it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I loved it. I absolutely like I don't I know it wasn't a perfect movie, but. I don't care. It was certainly in the right spirit. I mean, yeah. and that's of the of the critiques of the original trilogy that I feel the most. It's like it didn't have a lot of the stuff I wanted from Star Wars. And you know, you can make a Star Wars movie with a John Williams soundtrack and some lightsabers because those that iconography is so strong that it can sort of carry along a limp corpse, which is sort of what it did with the original trilogy. Um, and I guess that you know, if I have a critique of the movie, or it's not really even a critique of it; it's acknowledging what the problems that you have with this movie, and some of it is fan service and where we are in the life cycle of the stories. Like, if if episode seven happens in 1986, 
then it's clearly more Han Solo and Leia, right? You don't even think about trying to introduce new characters. And if it's 10 years from now, you almost don't even worry about having to have Han, Luke, and Leia in it. But we're in this weird time where they're young enough and around where you kind of have to have them in it. At the new trilogy can't really be a Han, Luke, and Leia story, I don't think. So it's this weird... You, you you get rid of Solo. I mean, even apart from like what actually happens, I think Harrison Ford doesn't want to be in three new movies. He wants to go out. He always, you know, for people who followed, he always said that he thought Han should have died in Jedi to save Luke and Leia or something like that. Um, he doesn't want to be in it. So you get Solo off the table. You keep Luke out so that you create some space for new characters um, because Star Wars is is bigger than Ford and Hamill and and. Um, in Fisher, for sure. So I think it almost it has to it has to be an overstuffed juggling mess to some degree mm-hmm. to to do what it does. Um, and it, I think that's why I'm more excited for the next movie as much as anything because I think the trilogy is a way of is going to. I mean, do we think that Leia is going to go to the sidelines? Does Luke go to the sidelines? Like, how does this play out? Um, all right, let's talk. So your let's do your favorite character. Well, no, let's not do this. I mean. The new characters are all successes, right? Yeah. Are they yeah. all successes? Um, Ren, as in, I mean, Ren and Finn and Poe and Ray. I, I don't really have much negative to say about any of them. Well, and BB-8, Jeff. Oh, yeah, BB-8, I guess. BB-8. Right, right. Which out R2s R2s, which I never really thought would, would happen. He's so cute. He's, pre- he's little, pretty cute. His little thumbs up. I just loved it. Man, I loved BB-8. Um, the, one, the one criticism I have is Captain Phasma. I wish oh. she given... I don't know what's going on there, and I hope they're going to develop her character in future installments. I hope she survived. The, Though she you know. had more lines in all of Boba Fett and all of the... Yes, <laughs> that is true. I just, I felt like she, there was a lot of criticism when the first cast photos were revealed, and they were like, no, no, we have more women. And right. then part of me feels like they just kind of shoehorned this in. I hope that wasn't actually what she's happened. she's a big enough but- actress, like, name-wise, that she's got to get more... Yeah, I'm hoping... Like, you don't cast that yeah. woman. I don't remember her whole name, but... Gwendolyn... She's, uh, she's a big uh, deal. Christy. Christy, yeah. Right. Yes, thank yeah. you. She's a big deal. And I've... Yeah. They didn't use her in any way that I'm sure, like, her salary probably commanded enough that she'll be in the next one, I imagine. I yeah, so. I, I think we're mm-hmm. more we're more likely to get more Phasma. I think as a, as a foil to Finn, yeah, I think I will agree. be interesting. Like, each one of them, you know, Ray clearly her antagonist is Ren. be interesting if they have sort of a subplot or parallel plot where Finn and Phasma, you know, have some sort of reckoning. Uh, going along down the line. Um, I think, you know, after seeing it, uh, uh, I've seen it a couple times. I know Swimna has seen it a couple times. I do think the big story is Ray and Finn. I think that you have a woman who's clearly the main character and the second main character, I think, is Finn after that from here on out. Does that feel right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. even more than, than Oscar Isaac's Poe Dameron, who was great. Um, I think he was the biggest surprise to me how much I liked that character, even though it didn't have much to do. Um, I the the goosebump moment for me, and tell me if you guys agree or have different ones, is when Ray snaps on the lightsaber at the end. Like for me, that's the one that gets that gives me the goosebumps moment. I don't know if it's because it's a woman doing it or it's her, or it feels like you know that that captures some of this, the the magic. But boy, I tell you, it did feel to me, and I'm sure I didn't feel it along the same lines you guys might have. But what did you think of the 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 woman? Being the lead, did did you like how Abrams handled it? Like, what was your sense of of Ray as the as the Jedi here? 
I thought it was such a pleasant surprise because mm. I expected everybody expected it to be Finn. Right. They yeah, want they let us by the nose to think about yeah. it. Yeah, right. And so it was such a great surprise. For me, the goosebumps moment was when Ray opens the box in Maz Kanata's uh, castle yeah. and you see like Anakin's and Luke's lightsaber and you know like that moment you kind of know what's I think I started crying when she opened the box. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. So yes. that was the moment even more oh, emotional at that moment. That was oh, like that's so interesting. Okay. Okay, cool. Right. Um, and then we get Finn who also has his moments too. And he's sort of the, I don't know, the emotional heart of the movie. It seems to me that, you know, he, he's such a raw nerve, the character throughout the movie, like even from the beginning where you don't even see his face and he's got, you know, he's wearing his stormtrooper armor. He's got blood and he's sort of standing around. Like I'm really, you're really concerned. <laughs> you're really concerned about him, uh, the, the whole time. Um, Kylo Ren, the the bad guy. You say you like what? Do, what do you like about him as as a mos, as opposed to just wearing Darth emo? Like, what else is there? Anything else you like about him? <laughs> Does it take more? I guess maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough. The space conditioner, perhaps. The space conditioner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's I need to know because I I have big hair like that and I need to know. Oh, right. How does he get it to do the swoop, Adam? I have Especially questions. when under a helmet. Cut <laughs> in the mask. These are serious questions. Well, re- remember it's space they're... fantasy, not sci-fi, Swapna. So there might not be good <laughs> answers to all this. If you're really looking for how it actually happens, I'm not sure this is the right trilogy for you. I think the thing that I find so interesting about Kylo Ren is that he is such an epitome of like a modern privileged yes. white man. Yes. Like he had amazing parents, even if Han was whatever. kind Absentee of, what... or dilettante. Right, right. Whatever, like yeah. Leia, right? Okay. Sure. He's got amazing parents and all of these people who cared about him when he was growing up. And he's still like he throws it all away. But he has like a temper tantrum. He, he has a years long temper tantrum. And then when uh, when oh, my gosh, brain, when Ray comes along and is just as but obviously could be more powerful than him. He just has a bigger temper tantrum. He's mm. like he has all of these things handed to him and it's still not enough. And the whole time I was watching him, I was like, man, you just. You're just a baby. You're just a whiny little yeah. baby. Yeah, see, I've argued with you on the internet. Yes. You know? Yeah. For like fan, for character dynamics, that moment between Kylo Ren and Rey when he's like trying to outforce her, basically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they have a staring contest with like supernatural right. And, powers. Yeah. Right. And that she withstands it. And then he has the literal temper tantrum of like throwing things around and screaming and knocking stuff. And you're like, bro, mm. like just, you know, get it together. <laughs> It's, yeah, like he basically, you know, like some people were born with, you know, a legacy admission to Harvard in their back pocket. He's born with a legacy admission to the Jedi yeah, Academy, like, basically, yeah. in his back like, pocket. He he has a Reddit account and a Fedora. Oh, yeah. Maybe yes. even a 4chan username. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of people. He would dox you. Uh, uh, the, of these Kylo sort of. Yeah, dox. he would totally dox you. Kylo Ren would dox you. Show title. Show title. Like, I guess of the critiques of the movie that. I don't care about, but also are the most, I don't know, vocal. It, the fans, it's a little fan servicey. It's a little too much of a rehash of a new hope, which I think, I think makes sense for what they're trying to do. I, I don't really, you know, you have an aesthetic sensibility about that, but then there's a big argument about, you know, could Ray really beat him? She's too powerful. And the, the converse of that is Ren is too whiny. He's too whatever. I have to say, I think I like the dynamic. You're not going to out Darth Vader, Darth Vader. I don't think you can go down this sort of robotic, mysterious, completely cool, calm and collected. I think it makes sense as a as a new move 
for a villain to have him be a tempestuous kind of Skywalker's mistake. Like Luke's mm-hmm. mistake is sort of wandering around out there. Um, he, I guess the sense of it is that he's just not that good. Like, and he wants to be better and he goes to the dark side because it's the quick and easy route. Kind of like Yoda says, like, he's not that good. He wants to be the best. He has an ego thing going on. Can't live up to Luke. Can't live up to Han. Can't live up to Leia. So I'm going to build my broke ass red lightsaber that doesn't work quite right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I and, like the, I like his lightsaber. I like it too, but like, yeah. it, it, I think it's like, you know, it's sort of crackly and sparkly and gets the job done, but it's only really great if there's not another one around. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, is, is kind of interesting. All right. So then the race, I think all of, we talked about this in the Slack channel a little bit. We feel good about this movie. Our big nervousness is about Ray's identity, right? Is that kind of are we all on the same yeah. page about that, or yep. what are you nervous about going into the next movie? Is is that the main one? Well, that, and I also don't want the the trilogies to be entirely a like a redemption arc for Kylo, but I think oh. that's probably what it's gonna. You be. You think so? You think I feel like killing your dad like that, killing Han Solo? I, I don't know. I think it, it might be Leia getting her hands on him again i don't know i mean like obviously i have nothing to base this on but sure yeah right we don't i, have, like I don't think we have anything to base what's going to happen from spoilers or anything at this point what's i mean since so- it's going to be ray and ren they're either going to have to fight and one of them is going to have to die or she's going to somehow save him or if they himself. fall in love with each other like if they're somehow not related because i am not up to date on all the genealogy of the star wars universe like <laughs> if well, we don't fall, know who she is so we yeah, don't right know who she yeah is, so if they're not know. related and they fall for each other and there's like that's the redemption of kylo ren who was so emo and so intimidated by the <laughs> fact that she was more powerful than him and then she has to like marry him and it's the mocking jay ending all over i'll yeah. be so angry <laughs> boy yep. i don't i really don't think that's going to I mean, maybe that maybe like that's what they fly off in the Death Star. I don't think that I don't happen. think the love story will happen, but I do think it's going to be a redemption. It might not not might, might not be a central plot, but I think it is. That is going to be. I, I wonder part. if it'll be like a re, like a Return of the Jedi thing, where where yeah. you know he's Vader and she's Luke, and yeah, that like, like he that was, has to kill him, but it is Snoke or something. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, right. See, my 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 theory is Luke is going to die to. Like That's it's gonna be I her and too. Luke against him, and Luke's gonna die, but she's not. Or, but he's he's gonna Kylo Ren's gonna live, but Luke's gonna die. Yeah, I think it might be a redemption story. Might be wrong, but the 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 trilogy could be Luke trying to clean up the Skywalker legacy. Right? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's it. He's got Vader on one side and Kylo Ren on the other. Like, I think the fall of the House of Skywalker would be a super interesting way to go. Um, which is why I so I really hope that Ray's not related to anybody. God, I that, I mean, if I could pick one thing to make happen for the rest of the trilogy, is that Ray is not uh, Organa Two or Calrissian. She has to be. Why? Why does why swap? No. Why does she have to be? Because at its core, Star Wars is a story of the Skywalkers. I no, mean, right. I, I genuinely just think she's... So we're going to get Skywalker nephew, the great-grandson in episode 15 in 2025? Like at its core, the you know, it is a story of the Skywalkers, so... Oh, God, I'm going to be so <laughs> disappointed. Do you think, they want? They, they Do you think they want that? You don't, but I think a you lot think of the people, people want her to be Luke's daughter or Obi Wan Kenobi's or, daughter. I don't know. I hear a lot of people saying they hope she is a nobody because it I, it gets yeah on Twitter. You know, Right, but I don't know. I I don't I don't think there's one, um, there's one consensus about it. But no. I do. You, 
know. I do. A lot of people just think she's going to be Luke's daughter, even like because I, I don't especially want her or need her to be Luke's daughter, but I'm pretty sure she is because boy, they got some they got some gymnastics to do to explain <laughs> mm-hmm. leaving her there by herself if it's yeah. Luke's daughter. Like I don't know, maybe Max Van Sydo was sort of the Obi Wan in that situation, looking over yeah. her over the ridge. I mean, that's I guess that's how you would do that, but like. Leaving her on her own to like eat like the insta tang bread for for (laughs) twenty years or Jesus, that is rough. I there has to be a super good reason for that to be the case. Well that's why I don't think she's Leia's daughter. Like I don't think she's Han and Leia's because after the way they lost one kid, there's no way. No, there's no way. I I just don't I anyway, it doesn't what I feel and want doesn't really matter, but just even from story mechanics, I just don't see how you do it in a way that's believable. I, I think Ren is if he gets a redemption, it'll be of the Vader variety of, you know, sort of a deathbed at the end, throwing the emperor down the well and dying. I, I don't see how he returns to the fold and wears the brown and tan robes of, you know, a light side Jedi. I just, I just don't see that happening. Um, the Ray, the, anything else about Ray or, or what else do you want to say about the show? Rebecca, what, what stood out to you? I loved the scene, the final like battle between mm-hmm. Ray and Kylo Ren in the snow, um, in the forest. That just really made me. Oh no! Hang on, my call recorder stopped. I got you. I'm recording. So okay. We can, we can do it. Um, it made me very happy, um, in just the pure like girl power sense of it, and knowing how much the Star Wars movies meant to so many people growing up, generations of people now who grew up watching them. I think that gave me like, because I'm not that personally attached to them, it gave me a, more of a moment of like, I'm just really happy that kids now who are going to you know have this conversation in 30 years about not remembering the time before they saw a Star Wars movie can grow up watching, uh, you know, uh, one with more than one badass female character. It was cool to see Carrie Fisher come back as Leia and be so powerful and strong. Ray was really fun to watch. Seeing Finn on screen um, and seeing sort of that, the dual power of the female main character and a person of color as a main character driving one of the most, if not the single most beloved you know, film franchise um, and seeing how successful it was despite all of the you know repeated statements about how you just have to make movies with white people because that's what people will go watch um you know confounding factors there because of it being star wars but i just i really loved that i thought it was fun um i was sad that han died because oh, I we liked, should talk about that yeah that's that yeah man. i really like watching uh harrison ford in that role just for how ridiculous it is <laughs> um, and the chewy stuff like the chewy were home moment yeah. and with him was really sweet uh so i just i really enjoyed it i don't have big force awakens feelings because sure. i don't have you know like all these big feelings about Star Wars in general, but I really enjoyed the film. I'm looking forward to seeing the next one. So do you go opening also, weekend to episode eight? Are you there for opening uh, weekend or you, you can still, you're not that no, excited? No, I think I'm still like second or third I week. See. Sure. Um, but I'll studiously avoid spoilers yeah. again. I didn't get spoiled for anything in The Force Awakens and that was really happy making. Um, so yeah, I'll be, I'm here to see hmm. the rest of them. I really hope that episode eight is not just also about trying to blow up a bigger Death Star. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to get bored with that. <laughs> Deather Star, the Deather Star. <laughs> Deather Amanda, Star what, what did you think? What do you think about Solo getting axed in the way that he did? Any strong opinions? What do you think? Does it work? Not work for you? 
I was more interested in that moment in Chewie having to yeah. shoot Kylo Ren than yes. anything else. Because um, obviously he would have been there to help raise mm-hmm. that boy. And then he had to um, shoot him. So there's like a cartoon floating around the internet of like oh, I saw somebody yes. drew pictures of Chewbacca and like playing with Kylo Ren as a little boy. And then, well, that, that got me in the feels. But mm-hmm. I mean, as soon as he stepped onto that bridge, I was talking to Swepna about it the day after I saw the movie. But like, you know, as soon as he stepped onto that bridge, that yeah. he was going to yeah. not come right. off it and so when he started walking i was like oh god prepare your loins and <laughs> the way you wanted to um i thought that adam driver overacted a little bit in that scene mm-hmm. which doesn't really have anything to do with how i felt about han solo dying right. but um i don't know han was never my favorite character i always found him kind of obnoxious so who are who, who are you who was your stand who was your original trilogy stand oh leia leia okay that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought we get. A, I thought we get a little more Leia here, but I don't know. It's again, it's a tricky balancing act where you have to do Finn. You have to introduce Finn and Ray and Poe and Ren. And Solo is the star of this movie, I guess, or it's like a, it's his movie. So you have her in the background doing stuff, and she matters, but she doesn't do that much. I'll be curious to see. It feels like it would make sense for her to come out more in the second movie. I'd, I'd be surprised if she has a similar role in the second movie of sort of like coming in on the transport shit after the shit has happened or like planning for the shit to happen. I, I don't know what they're going to do with her. I think that's, it's tough. I think it's very difficult. I, I think Ford was, I think I understand we got so much Ford and on the ship with the Rathgar squid things. Like he, I felt like he was a little, he couldn't quite keep up with the action sequences. I was, while I was watching like, Oh shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe not so much with this, but I understand what, why they did that. So what do you think about solo going out the way he did? did I mean, you okay say, with that? Yeah. Same as Amanda. I mean, first of all, I knew he was going to die before knowing any, when mm. I, we heard he signed on to the project. I knew he was going to die in this movie. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I mean, just because he's been so vocal about not liking star Wars, not liking Han Solo yeah. and wish, like wishing Han Solo would die. So you, I knew having read all those interviews and stuff like that, I knew that the way that he was so enthusiastic about coming back right. too, that yes. he, that the character is going to die. But like, you know, part of me was like, well, I hope not. I hope not. But the second he stepped out on the bridge, I knew, but I agree with Amanda too, um, that Chewie was the most interesting part of that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he, um, the way he shot Kylo Ren, because he is, would his life debt extend to, Han's son, even if Han's son's the one who killed Han. I like, don't, I, mean, I don't think that. Go- I think I don't think it's transferable. You know, <laughs> it's entailed upon Solo. It's like the Longhorn Estate <laughs> in Pride and Prejudice. Um, There's some deep nerding happening. Oh, it yeah. is, like, but she, I will say, I think this was the best Chewbacca we've right ever there. gotten. You got a lot of good Chewbacca. Yeah, a so much good Chewbacca. Good, and I'm so Chewbacca. happy because yeah. he's one of my favorite um, characters. And after not, I'm still sore about him not getting a medal. I'm sorry, I am. I mean, that's a grudge. Luckily, Wookiees don't seem to hold grudges as well as they hold life pledges. Okay. Um, we're going to play a little <laughs> game called um, Alive or Dead, which I'm going to tell you a name of a character in the movies going to episode eight, and you have to, dec- you have to tell me if they're going to be alive at the end of episode nine. You ready? Okay. Okay, we're st- we'll, start out with, we'll start out with a couple easy ones. Uh, Ray. Alive. Alive. Okay. Uh, Poe. Hmm. I'm going with alive. Alive. 
any alive and with Finn. Oh, oh well, that was, that was my next game. Is the the shipping Sorry. the shipping portion of the? I want Ray and Poe to just have like the swaggeriest romance ever. I think yeah. Well, I think okay. Ray... You like the shipping game better than the live or dead game. Okay, so who? Yeah, it, let's, it, let's just go to the shipping game. Let's go to the shipping game. Well, Ray, Finn, and Poe are Han, Luke, and Leia, right? So, like, all three of them have to make it to the end. Can they just have a three-way of awesome? Do they all have to make it to the end? <laughs> huh? Do they all have to make it to the end? I mean, I sort yeah, of agree with you. Yeah, if they're, they're Han, Luke, and Leia, they got to make it to the end. But are they? I mean, yeah. yes and I don't no. Know if, I don't know that they are. I think, I, they think are. They, I think they might be rewriting it so that they are now, but I don't think right. they were originally envisioned that way. Poe was supposed to die, which is why he magically reappears, you know, three quarters of the way through mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah. And they're rewriting episode eight because they didn't expect such positive fan reaction to those three characters. Mm. Interesting. Um, so. so, yeah, the, the love, we, ha- we don't really get much of a, do we get any hints? At, I mean, unfortunately, it's, it's kind of like a three's company situation, except it's Ray. Who's the only, you know, if, if it's going to be all heterosexual stuff, that we only have one female candidate. So it's like, which of the, the male candidates are going to be, you know, is there a romance? I guess that's the question. Do we have to have, are we, do you think we're going to get a Ray with one of these people we already know as a romantic storyline? It seems to me like the writers of these movies would feel obligated to put in a love story. Mm-hmm. I would say I would love if there wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, just, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. Cause if she's Luke, she doesn't need one. Like if we're playing and, that game. She yeah. Have to have I don't one. think it's necessary and you can accomplish all the fan service stuff without it. But I think there will be one mm. just because of the ideas that Hollywood has about what people want from movies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean agree. like it's almost more of like a Harry Potter Troika. As much or as much as a Luke and Leia mm-hmm. um, and Han sort of one, um, so we think Ray will have one. But do we have a strong sense of who it will be of, of the available candidates? Finn, I think it'll probably be Finn, but I Finn. prefer not that. Who would uh, you prefer? Finn. Who would you prefer then? I would prefer that she do the Luke thing and have nobody. And, oh, oh, oh. And I guess Finn I was I was taking Paul. that off the table, saying if there is going to be one, which <laughs> which direction do you want it to go? Oh, no. Do, do you really ship Finn, Finn and Poe, or do you just yes. want to see? Okay, when you, you do. When you, no, I do. When he put when he's like when when he comes back when he's not dead and Poe tells him that he looks good in his jacket and like his little lip bite thing, it's it's there. It's totally there. Yeah, but I feel like, like Finn is so into Ray. Yeah. yeah. Like he's so like I mean he asks her if she has a boyfriend. Like he's yeah. so into her. Right. A, a boyfriend, a good-looking yeah. boyfriend, that kind of thing. <laughs> like yeah, like I feel like he's so I would like to see uh, if I had to pick like Ray and Poe, because in in the novelization, which, of course, I have read mm-hmm. um, as of I, I should say. Yeah. Like Ray makes a comment that his face is not displeasing, which it's not <laughs> because she's a Victorian, apparently. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I would love to see Finn and Poe because that would be hot. But I didn't it didn't read that way to me like it. It. Red as bromance to me, and that we'll see Ray and Poe together. Hmm, that's interesting. Okay, then let's go back to who's alive. <laughs> Sorry, <who's dead>. Amanda. <laughs> alive or de- so you think Ray's alive? You think the three new main characters all make it to the end in the sort yes. of the original original trilogy style? So that leaves us. Well, okay, then Ren, Kylo Ren, dead or alive? I think alive. Really, I'm shocked. Yeah. I think, I think he's got to die, and then there will inevitably be an episode 10 that will introduce a new villain. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't Darth Maul him. They didn't yeah, you know, get him rid of, you know, cut him oh, in half, yeah. and he's dead, and where it's all snow. Oh, we should talk about snow. We'll do that at the end. Um, uh, then Leia, alive or dead at the end of episode 9. Alive. 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 Oh, really? And Forever. queen of everything. <laughs> alive and a queen of the universe. Okay. Yes. 
And then the the big question, of course, is uh, the Skywalker Luke. Dead. 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 Uh, how about Yoda? dead? Where did, when though? Is it at the end of Episode Nine or the end of Episode Eight? It depends on when the redemption. I think when when the Kylo Ren redemption. He's. I feel like it is a redemption arc, and he's going to die in that, like at that pivotal moment. And so, whichever movie is going. So to whenever Rand's fate that. is decided, yes. Luke yeah. is going to fall in a lightsaber, or fall in a hole, or sacrifice himself, or whatever. Yep. How whichever way it, it goes to correct okay. his fail or correct his mistake yeah. and failure. Um, the other big mystery of the movie is who Snoke is. Um, I guess my least favorite part of the movie is, is Snoke. Um, is this weird giant projector? It, wait, yeah. so Snoke is like, is someone? He's like well, the emperor. or whatever Snoke is. Oh, you know, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like whatever He's not it like is. a recurring character. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, like that's Ray's identity and what the hell is up with Snoke, I think are the two big mysteries, right? Well, I mean, I guess we kind of know what Luke is. is that, do we know what's up with Luke? Like why he's standing on top of uh, the mountain in the middle of the sea in North yeah, Ireland. Yeah, he went like, to find the first. That's where the first Jedi Temple. Well, that's is. the we rumor. Don't know. We, that's the rumor. Yeah. But like, why? What is he trying to accomplish? Like, what's we don't Luke know. Been doing, that we, we don't, don't know. know. Um, oh, I think it's just assumed that he's gone into hiding because he's sad. Sort of Yoda style. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I think there's no. This up and I've got to go live in a swamp or on a mountain or like. This hermit, this hermit trajectory of screwing up when you're a Jedi is super unhelpful, by the way. Yeah. Well, I think it's like he doesn't know. The, I think the idea is supposed to be, based on what I gleaned from the reading in between the lines of the book, is he didn't know how to correct his mistake mm. and basically was like, it's, I need to go figure that out, which is why he went in search of like the first Jedi temple. I see. So he's going back to basics, right? I was yeah. Like, oh, shit. And then just, I messed up training Jedi. I'm going to try to rebuild it from scratch. Luke Skywalker in the Cave of Feelings. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. So the other thing that's interesting is um, is uh, Maz Kanata, I guess, uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character, who's sort of a Neo-Yoda, maybe. Uh, what did you think of that character? Any strong feelings about the Maz Kanata character? I loved her. I thought she, I did not expect, I mean, I didn't expect to dislike her, but right. I didn't expect to love her as much as I did. I wish she hadn't been... CG, um, yeah. just yeah. because you know Lupita is such an amazing character, amazing person, and I wish you know I'm all for more people of color mm. on screen. So, did you read that interview with her when she talked about how she, how much she enjoyed it because it's the only role she's ever done where it's not about her body? Mm. I thought that was a super interesting comment. That is that you know she she wasn't a black body black woman on screen. She could be more of a character. I don't know what. Again, I agree with you in some degrees. Like, it would be super cool to see a black woman with a major role in one of these movies. But I thought, from a personal point of view, that wasn't something I had never really thought about, where she got to do – she could fully inhabit a character without being so conscious of her own black body at all times. Anyway, that's a side point. But if you had seen that. I thought it was cool. I, I guess a, a scene that got cut was her sort of force holding up a wall from collapsing on the, in her little cantina. So there, apparently there's room to be a force wielder without being a Jedi, which I've always sort of wondered about mm. um, there as well. Um, let's see, what else is there? So, well, there's hints, too, that Poe is force-sensitive in the comics. Oh, really? Yep. So uh. there's the, there, there's a Greg Rucka series called Shattered Empire, and it's just four issues, and it's out in trade. Um, but I'm not going to ruin it, but there are there's a story about Poe's parents yeah. and there are hints that he could be force sensitive, which is very interesting to me. Mm, okay. 
Um, I guess the other question that's interesting at this point, because at the at the end of the first one, the the future of the rest of the trilogy is is much more open than it's going to be at the end of the next movie. Like, do we end episode nine with like a new Jedi Order? Do we end it with it's more like the original trilogy where it's like Ray and Force Ghosts or like because apparently we're going to get more episodes like not it's not going to be this is the end and there's a bunch of standalones like we're going to get another trilogy after that so i'm kind of wondering like how do you set this one up knowing there's going to be more is is ray the main character of episode 10 like how do you how do you how do you see that happening hmm i have well, no the idea are kind of worthless so if we don't get another academy movie i'll be fine with that the jedi are kind of worthless yeah so like are the Jedi even a thing? Or if it's more of a Star Wars and there's like a whole bunch of people that use Force, some use lightsabers, some don't. Yeah. Like, from what we seem to see, like the Jedi don't seem like to be a super great idea. No, they're not. Yeah. And then they mess up and then they cry. They mess up and they cry. <laughs> and, and then they, they go away. And, and if, when they it, mess up, they mess up in like these galactically huge ways. Yeah, you get turned into Darth Vader, Kylo <laughs> Ren, you kill everybody else. <laughs> And like children, and it's yeah. just not, you know, maybe we should just not so much with that anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Let, we gave it a try. Uh, I don't try. know if they would ever do it, but a thing that I would love to see is like the meanwhile movies of like what else is happening in this universe that doesn't direct that is just people who live in this universe yeah. that aren't directly involved in this fight against the dark side. Like, a, like um, the Red Shirts book that John Scalzi wrote. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, that'd be interesting. For, I mean, we're, I think they're like, setting us up for those with these standalone movies. Like, yeah. yeah, like presumably there are like little villages all over these planets that just have normal people living in them. And like, I'm interested in, I, I would, as you know, not being heavily invested in the particular character arcs, would like to see just more of the world. Mm. Well, yeah, I think that's interesting because... More than, you know, you look at the main, the huge franchises, like the other, the only equivalent that's cooking right now is the Marvel universe. And I guess the DC one is getting fired up, but those aren't really universes so much as those are characters Mm -hmm. where, you know, Star Wars is, it has its own, weirdly, its own like sort of galactic world that the characters are important, but they're not the main thing as opposed to most comics where it's the characters are bust. Like you can't kill Cap, you can't kill Batman, you can't, because then there's not, there's nothing else. There is no... Superman comic without Superman, where there is a, there are Star Wars movies without Luke. There are Star Wars movies without even Jedi. It sounds like Reg- Road One. You're not going to even you're maybe a glimpse of Darth Vader, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes it sort of super fertile for all these other um, other other kinds of yeah, stories. Or like the sort of the lost model of if there were flashes in future movies about like what was Chewie's life like before? Like, are there Wookiee families? Like. Mm. <laughs> Stop with the Ewoks. Don't don't ask don't, that. Don't, don't, ask don't ask the Wookiee question because then we'll have to make you watch the Star Wars holiday No, don't, 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 don't. <laughs> In which Chewbacca goes home to visit family. Yeah. That's it's, a thing? It's a thing and it's the worst thing you've ever oh, seen. And as a diehard Star Wars fan, I say Oh, this. it's 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 it's, worst. it's worse than you can imagine it being. Okay, well then I'm just going to imagine that it's like the Wookiee version of a Christmas carol and that it ends very nicely. Oh, oh that oh that that could be true. Oh, yeah. if that were true. I'll it, hold that in my heart. Um I we, we're coming up on an hour. What else do we anything else we need to you want to make sure we said? Oh, oh, oh Swapna, you 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 had a um a back oh, yes. page editorial I'm, about the last shot of the movie. Tell, the last tell, shot of the movie. Tell, tell me your feels. 
Okay, so I've heard a lot of criticisms of the helicopter shot with Luke and Ray when she's holding out the lightsaber and just how long that whole procedure takes, like mm-hmm. with her walking up. I get the criticisms, but I don't care. I yeah. will defend that because I I have been waiting my entire I feel like I've been waiting my entire life for that scene. And I, every second I could, like, stare at Luke's face, which Mark Hamill has gotten fairly a lot of flack for not being the best actor in the original Star Wars trilogy. And I feel like he had one chance to nail it. Like, and he he, he sells it. He does such a good job. He does job. a like good look. look. It's a he good does. Look. That look yeah. on his face. Like, he just, you can just, it's a great look. And I, I will, I loved the way the movie ended. I liked it too. Okay, any predictions? What's the what's what's our setup when we start episode eight? We pick up and our characters are where? What are we doing? Ren is, I guess, gone home to Snoke, wherever that is. Okay, the 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 movies always start with shots of the Empire, right? Yeah. Is that right, Swapna? Every single one starts with Empire. I think so. Yeah. With an Imperial sort of or First Order. Sorry. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So it's Ren going on a shuttle to see Snoke at the wherever and the thing in the place or something. And the hey hey and what? Yeah. Oh, so with Ray, Luke's going to train her, right? I mean, that's where we're going. Is that where? I mean, I I can't see another way around it. Like Luke's going to train Ray to be a Jedi, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, That's got to be what happens. And we pick it up. Are they already being trained, or do we have to do some of this? Yoda, he's too old to begin the training dance around whether or not he's going to train her. I'm kind of hoping we skip all of that, honestly. Yeah, me too, because she doesn't have like the ego problems, right. I think, that Luke had during his training. So I think she'll, she, like, there's not a lot of issue <laughs> with so her. So either she's trained or we cut to them on Tatooine and she's upside down lifting rocks with their mom. <laughs> with their like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like movie series conventions aside, I would love it if the new movie opened exactly where the other, where this oh, one left off at, or just, or opened shortly after it and opened on a training scene. Okay. Cool. I would be, I would be okay with, I just don't want them to, that to be the focus of the movie. Like it was for empire. Like right. I would be fine with like a training montage. <laughs> but. Or like there's one scene of like them sword fighting and he, he's like, shit, you don't need to be trained. And then we're off to the races. <laughs> like you've, you've known all you need to know, I guess at some point. Yeah. Um, My guess is though, the movie is going to start with all the characters scattered to the wind yeah. and then it's going to be about bringing them back together. So maybe more like Jedi start. Yeah. Right. I Where think, you're sort of I getting the band so. back together is sort of the first part of the, the first part of the movie. All right, guys. That is exciting. Thank you guys so much for indulging us. Um, I hope the listeners um, found it at least interesting. If you've got thoughts that you need to tell us, you can email us, podcastatbookriot.com. Uh, it's hard to think of what, like, so we did the Mad Men finale. We've done Star Wars. Like, what's even on the horizon for doing an after show, Shinsky? Does anything come to oh. mind? The new Martin books? It doesn't seem like that's yeah, a thing. no. Fantastic Beasts? Well, I could do like a short conversation mm-hmm. about that. Maybe. I'm not, are you guys excited for that shit? I don't care. I don't not care. Yeah, either. I'll go see it, but not on opening weekend. Uh, I'm afraid that thing's gonna flop. I'm yeah. worried I mean, about that movie. These, like our little after shows, are are very much brought to you by the Shinsky O'Neill Wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Star Wars, the highest grossing movie of all. I mean, it's right. That and succeeds. Yeah. Or bit, our yeah. collective Riot New Media wheelhouses. Right. But there's, it's hard to think of anything. New else Gilmore that, Girls. Oh, Whoa. maybe. Well, that's good. interesting. That's yeah. actually kind of interesting. That, um, that might be like, a good one. That would be yeah, a good one. It's only like four episodes, right? Yeah. You know I what? So. That's ex- I mean, I think you're right. And because mm-hmm. it's our wheelhouse, but it's like, it's also kind of weird because it's going to be four 90 minute mini movies, right? Yeah. Well, like Sherlock. 
which yeah, I, I guess that's for the rest of my life. Maybe yeah. what, we, yeah, that's a good one. Care. We'll have to keep our eye on that. We'll watch those and see if it's anything worth saying. I guess once Game of Thrones is done, when we're all 75, we'll have to come <laughs> back for that. If you ever watch Breaking Bad, we'll do one. And yeah. It'll be so old that no one will listen. We but probably we'll should today. have done one when Mockingjay Part 2 came out. It's sort of a coda to the Hunger Games phenomenon. Yeah. We could have done one there. We could have done one there. I'm like, I'm thinking I'm watching a lot of TV right now, but there's nothing that is, yeah. that feels urgent. Like there's nothing, nothing has filled the Mad Men void in we my heart. We could have done Jessica Jones. Have you seen Des- Jessica Jones? No, I'm, I'm going to do that soon. That's, we could have that done is so excellent. Like, I would have done Master of None as an After Dark. Mm-hmm. I have lots of thoughts. Um, hmm. hmm. Maybe Infinity War, Schwabna, after, oh, after the God. two movies, the two big movies. Are out. I'll do. I mean, I'll. I'm up for it. I just you're not. I that, you're not that interested in it. I, I'm. I'm interested in it from a professional standpoint. Uh, okay, sure. I see. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I run the like comics. how I'm interested in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Okay. Right, yeah. but like it's just I just don't really like the direction they're have taking. Have you read Game of Thrones, Jeff? No. It, it it violates all of O'Neill's razor, like every yeah. single bit. Um, plus the rapiness stuff, I'm not into. I, mean, I don't need any of that stuff. I don't but the book's not as bad. As the it's not as bad? I've heard it's about the same, but I, that could be wrong. We could do Silicon Valley, Jeff. That would be very, that would be idiosyncratic to say the least. <laughs> I, I think so yeah. meta. <laughs> uh, we don't have to do the last of the Divergent series because I DNF the book, the last book, like a champion, and I'm not going to see the last of those movies. Yeah, I don't. Man, care. those They're fell off a cliff. Them. Those they, boy did that whole franchise fall off a cliff. Um, yep. Yep. Okay, so maybe, maybe, maybe uh, Infinity Gilmore War, Gilmore idea. Girls is a pretty good idea. Uh, maybe Amanda and I will do a the new Star Trek series that's premiering. Oh, there you like, go. Yes. <laughs> you could get, uh, I'm here I, for I, that. I would have to be in Rebecca's. Uh, I would be. Uh, I would be the recast of Rebecca in that because I've done Star Wars, but I'm not like. It's so fan. much harder though to do the Star Trek because it's because there's so much of it, so many series and like so oh, many. Oh yeah, God. But then I'm interested in this new series. Can it bring new people in? Because I'm also a diehard Star Trek fan. Not What's quite. What's funny a, about I, Star Trek is that it's only expanded universe. Yeah. Just because they've recast it and the original series wasn't all that popular and sort of Next Generation was like the most watched of them, but it was already like EU off the original characters. Like it's very weird the way the the it's a very flat universe, I guess. There's no like if you're gonna watch six things, you're like one episode of the first one, maybe one of the new movies, two of the it's it's very odd. Um, I say just watch all of Next Generation. Yeah, that's what I would generation. say too, but that's what I yeah. that's how I got into it. So, which I still haven't seen the last episode of because then I'm out of. Oh Star really? Trek. You haven't yeah. seen the last. It reminds episode you of your mortality, episode? right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, the entire the entire episode is about mortality too, so mm. that's somehow kind of fitting. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I'm gonna. It's like how I haven't read that one last Dickens novel because then I'm out of oh, Dickens. Like I just you, can't. Uh, haven't you also not watched the end of Parks and Rec? That is correct. This is a thing I do. I don't oh, watch. Oh, there, you got to write a post about this. Okay. I think that's a post. <laughs> okay. I'm saving Dickens because if I don't read it, I won't die. I won't die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lost. Yeah. It's not that Magical I won't die. Thing. It's that I won't have any more Dickens. Which is the same as dying. Shut up. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. All right, Bye. guys. Bye.